And now, the show that's almost as good as bacon, Sci-Fi for Me, is live from the bunker. Hello, everybody. And what a pain in the neck this machine is. For those of you who are watching live, uh, welcome. And you'll notice that I have a dark monitor. And I tell you... When it rains, it pours. Um, okay, here we go. I don't know. Welcome, everybody. My name is Jason Hutt. I'm the editor here at Sci-Fi For Me. Glad to have all of you with us. Welcome to all of you who are here from Culture Casino's channel. Good to have a culture raid uh, in play there. So good to have all of you. I will uh, I will say hi to people here in a moment. Let me first of all give a shout out to people who are listening to us as a podcast. I know we've been gone for a while. We're not back, but uh, we do every now and again have stuff. So we're available on all the different podcast platforms. Live chat is available and open, and you can leave a comment. If you're not with us live, you can send us an email, live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com. Join us on the social medias. we got a Discord channel, all that good stuff. And we can do this because... I got, I got a new tool that lets us pop up everybody's stuff as far as chats go. Uh, so let's uh, let's run through there. Cam's there. Shadow Chaser, uh, Evil Raman, Sender Hammerslug, Weatherman, JD3138. There's Death Angel Shadow there in the uh, in the background helping us out. Uh, Grim says, Culture Casino sends his regards. Culture's a good man. He's a good man. Joseph Dredd's here. Michael's here. Uh, now, Michael had a question. Who takes less money on a Super Chat? YouTube, Odyssey, or Rumble? Uh, and Joseph says YouTube takes 30%. That actually, I think, is not completely accurate. Uh, my understanding is that YouTube takes 45%. And... Uh, I don't know about the others. Odyssey, I think, is a very much lower percentage than that. Um, Rumble right now is doing a thing with their paid subscription membership thing. So you have the following, and then you have a subscription, the, the money level membership. All of that money through the end of the year is going to the creator. Rumble's not taking a cut at all through the end of December. So uh, there we are. Um, Joseph says, hey, uh, Cam says, I watched the D&D movie. Are you happy now? Uh, well, did you enjoy it? I guess is the question. I, you know, that's the thing. I mean, I, I thought it was a fun movie. But your mileage may vary. Uh, it's trapped there in the uh, chat. Got my message. That's good. I was wondering where you were. I'm hoping everything's okay. Because everything is not okay here. So, story time, ladies and gentlemen. So, I get everything set up. And, you know, we've got, you know, control of the internet here through all of these different machines and monitors and tech and all this other stuff. <clears throat> so, we have, I have everything set up. All the screens, everything where it's supposed to be. And then this, and then, then I go upstairs to watch the first episode of Frasier. 
I can recommend Frasier. I haven't seen the second episode yet, but the first episode is is good. It's got a gut punch at the end, though. It hits. It hits hard. But it's a good start. So I come back downstairs, and this monitor dies. And this monitor is where I have everything pulled up for all of my story references for the first hour, all of my stack of stuff, as Limbaugh used to call it. So I, you know, unplugging cables and plugging in cables and unplugging and plugging in, plugging in, I can't get it to work. So I do a hard reboot on the computer. I do a second hard reboot on the computer. I do a third hard reboot on the computer. And it's still not working. Needless to say, I'm a little frustrated at this point. Then, after getting everything back up and running, StreamYard doesn't want to see my camera. And StreamYard doesn't want to see my microphone. And here it is, 15 minutes to air, and StreamYard doesn't see anything. I was like, how am I going to do this? But I am a highly trained professional broadcast specialist. I've got 35 years of experience here. And I was able to get it all back up and running, at least to the point where I can do the show, and you will never know that we had problems. Because the only way you know is I tell you. So here we go. All right, Don Don Ranger Power says, I'm watching that Paramount Plus revival of Frasier, so thank you for the re recommendation. Amazing stuff for sure. It's good. It's good. It's good. Uh, Alexander says, I've got the glow. What glow? Am I glowing? Am I glowing? Uh, Joseph asks if Frasier's good as the original. So far, it's a good start. Uh, you know, I mean, it's first couple of episodes, so it could go anywhere. But it's it's got some interesting setups. Uh, I'm curious to see how it's going to go. Uh, Weatherman says the D&D movie was decent. It's worth a watch. Uh, Cam says the D&D movie, if you like 5e, it'll appeal to you more than if you're an old school person. Oh, okay. I can, I can see that. I can see that. I can see that. Uh, no, it's a reference from The Last Rank. Oh, okay, okay. I haven't seen that movie. I'm sorry. All right. <clears throat> there we go. <clears throat> so let us dive in, as it were, uh, with some, some breaking news uh, over the last uh, couple of days. Um, we learned today, this morning, uh, actress Phyllis Coates, who was the first Lois Lane in television, and actually, uh, she was not the first Lois Lane. I think Noelle Neal was the first Lois Lane in the, in the serial, The Mole Men, and then Phyllis Coates was, was Lois Lane, and then Noelle Neal was Lois Lane again, but she's passed away at age 96, as Hollywood Reporter reporting on this. The first actress to play Daily Planet reporter Lois Lane on television, only to leave The Adventures of Superman after just one season, has passed away in 96. Uh, she also appeared in Republic Pictures serials and such films as I Was a Teenage Frankenstein, died Wednesday of natural causes at the Motion Picture and Television Country House and Hospital in Woodland Hills. Uh, her daughter, Laura Press, told The Hollywood Reporter. Oh, I didn't know she was from Wichita Falls, Texas. 
All right, so she first portrayed Lois opposite George Reeves as a Man of Steel in the sci-fi movie, dark sci-fi movie, <coughs> right? Superman and the Mole Men. Uh, the success of that Lippert Pictures film, the first full-length theatrical feature starring the comic book hero, led to the quick decision to start production on a syndicated show for television. Um, I'm not sure that that's accurate. Because Kirk Allen played Superman before George Reeves in Superman and the Mole Men. And... I, mm, Okay, yeah, Noelle Neal played Lois in the serials starring Kirk Allen. Okay, so the feature-length film and the serials, those were a different thing. So any, anyway, our condolences to, uh, to the family and friends and colleagues of uh, Phyllis Coates. And we also got this uh, news. Keith Giffen, comic book writer and artist, uh, co-creator of Lobo and the Jaime Reyes version of, uh, of Blue Beetle, Rocket Raccoon, uh, dead at 70. And in true Keith Giffen fashion, <clears throat> he uh, left some instructions, and he got a post that he left. He says, I'll do anything to get out of New York Comic Con. So our condolences to the family of Keith Giffen. I mean, where do you start with Keith Giffen? You know, a lot of people know him from Justice League, uh, Justice League International. He was the one who came up with the one punch with Batman knocking out uh, Guy Gardner with one punch. So he will be missed by a lot of people. Um, Don Don Power uh Phyllis Coates was Lois Lane's mom in a Lois and Clark episode? I didn't know that. She played she played Terry Hatcher's mother? Terry Hatcher's version of Lois? Because um, Noelle Neal... Uh, Noelle Neal played Lois's mother on the train in the first Superman movie from 1978. Noelle Neal and Kirk Allen are the, uh, are the parents when... Little girl, Lois, sees the guy running across, running next to the train. Which is weird, because Lois is supposed to be older than Clark. I, I'm just saying. Just saying. Um, now, one of the things that we have done in the past, when we were doing the Saturday morning show, and it started... Uh, as an offshoot of everything that was going on with the pandemic and all of the cancellations and the schedule changes and all that other stuff, was all of the convention updates and the weather things and everything. Now, I have a convention update for you today. TeslaCon, or Tesla Expo, which was originally scheduled for this weekend on October 14th, that has been canceled. They've got weather coming in, so they are moving it to July 13th, 2024, which is Nikola Tesla's birthday. It's going to be his 128th birthday, I believe. So any of you who are planning to go up to Wardenclyffe for the Tesla Expo, it's not happening this weekend. So just, just, uh, just sharing that. Something else not happening is... Oh, I got a guess. You got a, what? 
I got to guess on something else that's not happening. So, uh, what? We're not back. No, we're not. Okay. Something else not happening is uh, the negotiations between the studios and the Screen Actors Guild. The studios have walked away from the table. And they've basically said that, uh, you know, we gave this deal to uh, the writers and we had this deal with the directors and we want to have this deal with you guys. And the Screen Actors Guild said, nope. And the studio says, you guys are being unreasonable. Call us when you're ready to talk, is essentially what that is. Now, of course, SAG is accusing the studios of bully tactics, and we've got back and forth online and, you know, social media posts and everything. As I understand it, the actors are asking for an 11% increase in their pay rates. Now, the deal that they just did with the Writers Guild starts with a 5% increase, and it's incremental. After that, there's another 4% increase and then a 3.5% increase. So they'll go in, in, in fits and starts. Screen Actors Guild's won an 11% increase right off the bat. And whatever their argument is for the AI stuff, and, and I get it. You want AI protections, especially for actors, because if I scan your photo, you know, I scan your your face for, you know, face applications or whatever, reface things like they're doing with Star Wars. You want to get compensated for that. And I, there's no, no argument there. They, they definitely need to have something in place, some protections there in place. Otherwise you could make any actor do anything and they don't have anything to say about it. And that's, dangerous so you don't want to do that but the studios have basically said y'all are being unreasonable it ain't gonna happen so they're uh they're stalled at the moment now the director's guild came out and said well our deal was okay basically you know putting some pressure on and i would expect if this continues that the Teamsters might get involved the way they did with the Writer's Guide, uh, the Writer's Strike. And by getting involved, I mean showing up with baseball bats and issuing declarations of intent to harm. <clears throat> that yes, yes, you're gonna, you're gonna, you you're gonna chime in there. I'm gonna Mrs. use my mic. Yes. Apparently, I have a mic. You have a microphone. That I don't use because we're not back. But anyway. Um, Why am I hearing an echo over there from you? I don't know. Anyway. Anyway. I was going to say, since you bring up AI, and I'm totally coming in and stealing this, did you see that article that I sent you earlier that um, George R. R. Martin is taking someone to task for finishing his <laughs> yes. books with AI. Yes, I saw that. At least the <clears throat> books are finished, right? Well, and and what this is, uh, apparently somebody has taken ChatGPT and completed not just The Winds of Winter, but the next one after that. <laughs> so, uh, so Song of Ice and Fire is done. It's just not officially done. So, I don't know. It's, yeah. All right, Monkey Jeebus says, actors always get paid more than they deserve. Um, 
Alexandra says, maybe this will inspire George to actually do some work. <laughs> Monkey Jeeves says, the AI has better work ethic than George R. R. Martin. I'm not gonna I'm I'm not gonna dispute that. Don't you like my new chat widget tool? I mean, isn't this kind of cool? Because because we're taking we're I'm able to pull stuff in from everywhere. It's very cool. Because that piece from that uh, that thing from Keith Yiffen, uh, this piece right here, this is from Twitter. So you know, Streamyard will pull in chat from wherever it is you're sending stuff. So Twitch, YouTube, uh, it won't get any of the others. It won't grab Odyssey. It won't grab Rumble. But uh, this new tool will not only grab YouTube chat, Rumble chat, Odyssey chat, and and the super chats have a little distinguishing aesthetic as well, so you can actually see the difference on those. Um, but it also will pull in Twitter posts. I haven't tested it with anything else yet as far as like any of the other social media stuff, Facebook and Instagram stuff, but I don't see why I couldn't do it. This is a nice little robust tool. I want to thank Brahma Bull for mentioning it on Sunday night during Culture's show. <clears throat> a lot of you were there uh, Sunday night. So was I. So was Mrs. Boss, and I am very, 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 very grateful. Very grateful to Culture for not playing that clip. You know the one I'm talking about. Those of you who have watched this, watched his show, you know the one. We don't ever need to see it again. Right? <clears throat> ever. Anyway. All right. <clears throat> yeah, Death Angel Shadows says, sure, new tools, but still not back. <clears throat> here's, here's the thing. <coughs> Excuse me. The, the, the challenge, see, I told Mrs. Boss the other day, I'm glad we're not a political channel. Because I would never get any sleep because of everything that's going on. And what we've got here and the things what we talk about here, in the grand scheme of things, you know, on, on orders of magnitude, the stuff that we talk about here is, is probably not that significant given what everything else is going on in the world right now. But every now and again... We need to take a breath and talk about something that's a little bit less heavy than what's going on. What's going on right now is horrific. And I could go off on a rant about a lot of things, which I won't because, you know, this isn't that channel. <coughs> I do plenty of that over on my personal Facebook account. <laughs> well, there's Sci-Fi Snipey says, is there something going on in the world right now? Um, yeah, actually, <clears throat> let me let me share with you, um, because this is going on in the world right now. The Marvel's box office. Have you seen this? The estimates for the Marvel's box office. This is Captain Marvel 2. They got renamed after they added two other Marvels because Brie Larson is not enough to carry the film. Estimated $39 million. Ticket sales in the gutter. Um, Pre-sale tickets are said to be less than a third 
of Guardians of the Galaxy 3. This is Matt McGloin over at Cosmic Book News. Following tickets going on sale on Tuesday, it's claimed that the Marvel's tickets pre-sales are in the gutter and less than a third of James Gunn's Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which could mean the flick may open to less than $39 million. Uh, Guardians 3 actually opened soft, but due to word of mouth, they had good legs and ended with a successful box office. Brie Larson, Iman Villani, Tiona, uh, Tiona Paris, and Nia DaCosta will need better legs if that's possible. Guardians 3 opened with $118.4 million, compared to Volume 2's $146.5 million. And the thing is, you have Nia DaCosta, the director, the director of the movie, coming out and saying, this is not my movie, this is Kevin Feige's movie. Which I've said for a long time that Kevin Feige is the showrunner on this really, really big television series writ large called the MCU. Because Kevin Feige being in charge as the executive producer and the he's basically the showrunner on all of this stuff. And the directors are filling a slot, and they're they're doing the work of the of of actually putting the picture together. But there are requirements for it to fit into this overall grand landscape of things, and so the directors don't actually have one hundred percent control over this stuff creatively. So Nia DaCosta is actually coming out there, one saying it's not my movie, it's Kevin Feige's movie. Two saying, you know. It's the white man's movie. <clears throat> and then you've got the fact that you've got Brie Larson in a sequel to a movie that nobody really was looking forward to, except for the fact that it was sandwiched in between two Avengers movies. That's the only reason it made money is because everybody thought, oh, it's in between the, it's in between the Avengers movies. We got to go see it because I don't want to miss anything. This movie does not have that. It's been bounced around. You now have... It's now an ensemble picture instead of a starring role for, for Brie Larson. Brie Larson is not that much of an appeal. She's not that much of a draw. I feel sorry for Iman Villani, though. I will say that. Because if you have not seen Ms. Marvel on Disney+, Plus, I recommend that you watch it. It's fun. It's light. You got the family thing going. You got the kid. Oh, crap. I'm a, I'm a superhero now. Oh, this is so cool. I'm a superhero. Oh, my. What am I doing? I'm a superhero. It's a fun series. And Iman Vellani brings a, 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 an energy, a genuine, enthusiastic energy to this part. And I am looking forward to seeing her in the film. I'm not looking forward to anything else. But I'm looking forward to seeing her in the film. And I'm curious, I'm not, I don't know that I'm going to do it, but I'm curious about the miniseries, the, the comic book miniseries, Ms. Marvel, that Iman Vellani is co-writing. Because she's a big comic book nerd. As young as she is, she's what, all at 17, 18 years old now, 20. So that's... That's a factor, but I do I do recommend you check out Ms. Marvel as a TV series because um, she does she does give a good performance. Let's see here, what do we got here? 
Let's see. Don Don says, I'll see the Marvels when it streams on Disney+. Plus. Till then, I'm remaining neutral. Uh, Snob says, they should just make a No Man Water. Well, you know, there's some question about that. Although, you know, it's funny you should say that because um, uh, Hetrick, uh, what's her name? Is it Michelle? Michelle Hetrick? She's an artist. She posted over on LinkedIn her cover. She's apparently done a, a variant cover for the new Captain Marvel number one, that, you know, the new series that they're relaunching because they relaunch it, I don't know how many dozens of times a year. And Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers, actually looks like a woman. Shh, don't tell anybody. <clears throat> so there's, there's some movement. There's some movement afoot. And we got the news the other day that the Daredevil series has been put on hold because after they've shot a few pieces, less than half of the of the nine episodes we're supposed to get, the showrunners have been fired. The writers are gone. And Disney Plus is saying, you know, we should probably, let's retool this. Let's rethink this series. <clears throat> there is hope. Maybe. I don't know. Sci-Fi Times says, Captain Marvel is supposed to get a boyfriend for this movie. If some of the rumors are true... Uh, then she may actually end up married because at one point in the comic book series, she was married to a prince on a planet where they all sing. And that's what everybody's speculating about the Bollywood stuff that we've seen in the trailers, that that's the planet for which the prince... And you know, think, I don't know if that's going to happen or not. but But anyway. But you've got... Daredevil getting retooled and the studios have walked away from the actors strike negotiations and the speculation is of course what they're doing with this is the same thing they're doing with the writers guild is we're going to stay out long enough to start canceling projects and canceling deals probably what's going to happen now it I don't know how much of that happens with actors but it's entirely possible that that's what they're doing. Now, it's also possible, because we're getting hints of this, it's also possible that the studios are sitting there saying, you know what, we probably might want to think about what kind of stuff what we're making. We talk about, talk about Frasier. We got this article here, Paramount Plus charts course for populist series with multi-season potential says Paramount TV studio president Nicole Clemens. What's this, you may ask? This is Ben Kroll in Variety from a couple of days ago. <clears throat> Home to the Taylor Sheridan stable and to the Star Trek franchise, such as it is, Paramount Plus is looking for populist dramas that hold a wider sway and can span several seasons said Paramount Television Studios and Paramount Plus original scripted series president Nicole Clemens at her keynote at MIA Market in Rome on Tuesday. 
Now, I apologize for looking up at the sky for this because normally this would be on the monitor that's down here that's dead. All right. So I'm I'm having to I'm having to look up. But I'm looking up in hope. It's a hopeful look. It's not a yelling at clouds look. Now listen to what she has to say here. Quote, We're not looking for shows that just play to New York and Los Angeles. That doesn't mean they're not edgy. That doesn't mean it can't be dark. But we want to have a broader propulsive appeal. Something like populist literature would be good. Pointing toward the recent Frasier reboot, which is produced by CBS Studios, Clemens described Paramount Plus's half-hour remit as a big, loud, funny, hard comedy. And if that comes with recognizable star or brand name IP or both, as luck would have it for the Kelsey Grammer-led reboot, then all the better. More importantly, the shows would have room to grow over several years. So, not canceling after three seasons like Netflix does, or the sci-fi channel used to. <clears throat> to say it. Uh, quote, because we're a newer service, we really want to do ongoing returning series, Clemens continued, detailing Paramount TV Studios' growing interest in supplying the platform with scalable titles in lieu of one-offs. Quote, we're not looking for limited series in the U.S. We are really looking for contemporary ongoing titles. Does that sound familiar? Ongoing titles. Do you remember back in the day when there was this thing called television, and you turned on the television, and you'd watch TV, and these TV series, these TV shows, like Frasier, Star Trek, The Next Generation, Star Trek Voyager, Star Trek Enterprise, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Babylon 5, Moonlighting, I mean, all of these television shows were on these channels, you turn the TV on, and they'd have 20, 24, 26 episodes in a season. And they would go season after season after season after season. How long did Friends last? Too long. Too long? Besides that. Um, I never watched it. Supernatural. 20. Was it 20? 15. It was at least 15. Walker, Texas Ranger, the first one, the real one, the original one. How long did Dallas run? 90210 was 10 years. 90210 was 10 years. I know she knows that. <clears throat> Mash. It, it sounds like somebody over at Paramount has sat there and said, you know what? What if we did. What if we did TV like we used to do TV? Because remember, in in the in the in the past few few years, and we've talked about this here with Cameron Pasha on here talking about the new model, because streaming shows, you know, especially in the wake of the writers' deal, with the room minimums and all that for writers, all of that is based on how many episodes are in the show. Six episodes. Eight to ten episodes, more than ten episodes and whatnot. And you have now the studio head. This is the boss saying, why don't we do it like we used to do it, essentially. Maybe not necessarily 26 episodes in a season, because that costs money. But 
also consider the fact that a lot of these services, a lot of these studios, a lot of these networks, these these companies, these corporations are looking at streaming as a lost leader. Streaming doesn't make them any money. But fast channels can make them money, which is essentially stream, a streaming version of regular TV. Commercials, the whole the whole kit and caboodle. Would you would you would get up and switch your channel manually back in the day? You had three channels. You had NBC, ABC, CBS, and public television. Maybe a couple of indie indie channels and in wherever whatever market you were in. That's what fast is. Free ad supported television channels. It's it's basically. Channel 5, but it's streaming instead of broadcast over the air. It's the only difference. And we can sell we can sell advertising. We can sell commercials. And we can make money. And we can use, since everybody is, is essentially going to be forced into the, the, the material, you know, disclosing their numbers... Because everything is based on numbers. At some point, we're going to have to see what some of these streaming numbers are going to be. So, might as well use them because that's how they used to be. Nielsen ratings or the, you know, the, the local book would come out and the ad sales people would go out and say, Look, we're number one in the time slot. Give us $600 for a 30-second commercial and in the news. That's coming again. Only it's going to be a streaming channel instead of just over the air. I don't know. Don Don says, speaking of Star Trek, I understand Netflix picked up Prodigy. They did? Yes. Uh, there's quite a bit. What was the other thing that we heard about Star Trek just, just the other day with regard to Prodigy? Netflix. Netflix is going to pick it up. Yeah. No, 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 no. Nickel... Is is Netflix? No, Netflix is picking up the whole thing in repeat. It's the the new season's going to Nickelodeon, right? Season two's going to Nickelodeon, and the whole show's going to be picked up in repeats at Netflix. I think is what happened. I don't know. I'll have to look that up. Anyway, all right. Um, what else we got? Really quick. If you want populist, let's try this one for a second. Just 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 go this. Let's try this one on for size. Tell me if this one's populist enough. John Carpenter says that they could do a couple of more Snake Plissken movies. You want those? Maybe? I don't know about that. We'll see. Anywho, but I think I think the tide is turning, folks. I think maybe... Maybe we're getting a little bit of movement in certain areas in the entertainment industry where people are starting to realize, you know, we've kind of shot ourselves in the foot with some of this stuff. Maybe we should rethink some of this. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, all right. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a real quick break. And uh, Wyatt Russell as Snake Plissken, you know that could work. That could actually work. All right. Now, as I fight my chair, which continues to lose air pressure in the thing. All right. 
So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a real quick break. When we get back, we're going to jump into the guest hour early because Lon Davis is standing by. and We're going to talk about that right after this. Don't go anywhere. Broadcasting from a device built by a teenage genius using leftover parts from an erector set. This is Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Sci-Fi For Me is about to take you on an incredible journey into the realms of science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Interviews with writers, filmmakers, artists, and actors. Conventions and fandom. Previews and reviews of movies and television. Sci-Fi For Me is working to be the most popular science fiction magazine in the solar system. Subscribe now and enter the fantastic world of Sci-Fi For Me, delivering the multiverse since 2009. Back live from the bunker. We're not back. I mean, we're back, but we're not back. Or something like that, right? Hi, everybody. So, okay. We're playing with the format of this show. I have explained a little bit. We're going to do a three-hour thing where the first hour is just kind of me riffing on whatever else is going on the second hour is the guest panel discussion such and the third hour is open line so coming up uh, a little bit later on you will all get the link in the chat and we will uh, we will open up the line so people can can call in and opine about stuff right now though we're going to start our guest hour early Lon Davis joins us. He is the co-founder of Walking and Rolling Costumes, which is a, an organization that builds costumes for uh, kids. I, would you say kids with special needs? Kids with, yes. uh, I mean, are they uh, specifically because they're in wheelchairs? or um, how, how They do can you, be in walkers. It's anyone with adaptive um, mobility equipment. Okay. All right. The website, walkandrolling.org. And uh, you guys have been doing this for a while. Um, for those who have not heard about this, let's do the, mm-hmm. let's do the very basic uh, Reader's Digest version of how you got started. Okay. So um, the first costume that I ever built was for my son, Reese. He was, he was born with cancer, and the cancer uh, crushed his spinal cord. So he was in a wheelchair his whole life. And he got his first wheelchair when he was three years old and wanted to be Wally for Halloween. So I knew I couldn't find a costume in stores back then uh, that would work around his wheelchair. So I decided to just build one myself. And so we built one out of an old Dell computer box and, uh, you know, had the, the the track treads on the sides and, and Wally's arms inside that he could Reese could control from inside the box and uh, it, it was a huge hit. He he loved it. Uh, and for years since then, we have I've built new costumes for him. Um, then in 2015, we decided to launch it as a nonprofit to build these types of costumes for other kids around the nation in, in wheelchairs and walkers. And so Walking and Rolling Costumes was born. And we have built uh, to this Halloween, we will 
hit 150 costumes that we have built for kids wow. from Florida to Hawaii, all free of charge to the families. And it's all done with volunteers who are willing to help build the costumes and donations and sponsorships to help cover the costs of the, of the materials to build them. Now, when you, when you started thinking about this as a nonprofit, mm-hmm. how did Mrs. Davis feel about it? Because this, this, you know, besides day job, this actually turns into a whole nother, almost a, a, another job with all the time right. commitment and everything else. I'm assuming that she was on board with it from the very beginning. She was on board at the very beginning because um, we have two boys. And so she was looking forward to any girl costumes that she could put glitter and have <laughs> pink and all kinds of stuff that. She doesn't get to do it with her boys. So she was on board with, with any costumes that we could do that were for, for little girls. Um, as it has grown, you know, she has, she has become a little overwhelmed by how much it has taken over our garage <laughs> and our uh, lives, especially during the, whole, the Halloween season. Yeah. But she's, she's still supporting us and, and helping out when she can. Now, how, how sophisticated have things gotten because the Wally costume was not, uh, it was not that much of a technical job. I mean, you're figuring things no. out, but you've got a little thing. But nowadays I look at some of these costumes and how complicated they are and how, how, uh, complex the designs are comparatively yes. speaking. I mean, the Arrowhead stadium costume, you've got an X-wing, you've got, uh, Ant-Man, you know, on, on the ant, how how much has this progressed over the years? Have you have you just brought other people in who can do more, better, faster? How much are you learning your your skills? You know, I mean, what's the evolution it, of this? It's definitely been something that we have learned on the fly. Um, Reese and I, we every costume that we build uh, at home, we try and kind of challenge ourselves with with new new techniques or new things that we haven't done before on the costumes. Uh, we have moved away from obviously Dell computer boxes that are not waterproof. We now move, <laughs> have everything is completely waterproof. If it rains, um, the, the kids' costumes do not get destroyed or anything like that. Uh, we have lights, sounds, um, buttons that kids can activate different things on the costumes and, uh, you know, it just it keeps elaborating on, on what we can do and what we can build. Uh, we've, we have brought in other members uh, to create a, an expert build team. They're from all over the nation that we feel they have, uh, they have the most experience. Uh, many of them have kids of their own that are in wheelchairs and they have built costumes for them as well. And we've kind of collaborated to come up with with unique ways of attaching to the wheelchairs um, has definitely evolved. And, you know, we now 3d print different pieces in order to make it attach easier and quicker so that the parents, uh, you know, when they have to put this costume on their child's chair, it's very easy for them as well. We got a suggestion from road vagabond life over on Odyssey said, should call it squeals on wheels for the scary costumes. (laughs) Actually, I I like it. I like that. Hey, that was good. Yeah. So now with with the wheelchairs, because here's you and I have talked about the challenge for this, because mm-hmm. every wheelchair is different. 
You can't yes. just Every... do a template and just build the box and it comes out of the box and you just put it out there. You have to have Correct. the specific brand and model, make and model of the wheelchair. Mm -hmm. You've got to have measurements. you got to make sure that everything fits because, okay. you know, the kid's a different size. The chair's a different size. So when you build this wheelchair, it can only fit that one model of, of chair. Usually, yes. Um, yeah, like you said, you know, every single child, their wheelchair is custom made for them. And even if we have two kids that have the exact same wheelchair, all the settings are going to be different. The seats are going to be adjusted. The foot plate is going to be in a different place. And so all of that is unique to that child. And so we have to make sure that we get all of our measurements for the chair so that our costumes attach properly and safely to the, the wheelchairs. And, you know, because of that, it's, it's really difficult to transfer any costume from one kid to another kid uh, just because their, their chairs are not going to line up. Uh, we have had times where we've built the exact same costume side by side, you know, two, two copies of the same costume but the way that they attach to the chairs is completely different and completely unique. And so, you know, we just have to accommodate for that. Um, and it's, it's something that, you know, you can't mass produce. You can't really make a lot of different parts and have it available to all the families as something, you know, they can buy on our website or anything like that. It, yeah. It's all custom made. Yeah. Now monkey Jeeva says, just add elastic to the costume so it can stretch to size. But these are, these are much more, mm -hmm. uh, these are much more complicated. And there's Matt Tween Yes. And the chat. Good to see you. Um, and Keely joining join us as well. So these, these costumes and, and let me, let me, let me pull some of this up here. Let me see if we, we've sure. got, cause you've got, uh, you've got photographs here. Sure. Um, here's the gallery. Let me pull the gallery up. Okay. There we go. All right. So these, let me show you here, folks. These are some of the different costumes. Yeah, go into the photos uh, there. Go into the photos. It's not yep. just, it's not just a little wraparound thing. These are, these are pretty complicated things. If, if, if my internet will let me load everything here. <laughs> See, this is this is this is my day. This is my day. All right, so here we go. So we got um, mini mouse. So the there. frames are, are typically built out of PVC, uh, PVC pipe to hold the structure together. And so you know that is a, a rigid frame that has to attach to the wheelchair somehow. Yeah. And then we skin those with either uh, HD foam or styrene, which is just like flat sheets of PVC pipe and um, you know they, they can we do use fabric sometimes um, you know so elastic can be used to attach things to the frame but it's not always something that attaches it to the chair itself yeah now we'll the, sometimes use velcro things like that but the ant-man costume is is of particular note because you have you have Paul Rudd stories. Uh, yes. in your in your thing because you know he's he's we, he's aware of this you guys have met him yeah. um how did that go well it it started with the the very first ant-man costume we built uh it was for my son uh, he wanted one where as he rolled in his chair 
the legs of the ant would walk. And so, you know, creating the engineering behind that in order to make that happen, um, we put it out on, on Facebook and Twitter and, and it caught on like wildfire and, and went viral and it caught the eyes of many of the cast and crew of the first Ant-Man film. And so the special effects team were sharing it with their other, the other team members. And then two weeks later, we, we got to meet Paul Rudd and we showed him this picture and he said, because ironically, Paul Rudd does not have social media channels. So <laughs> he's a smart he, man. He didn't comment on it over social media. He commented on person in person. And he said that uh, he was on set a couple weeks ago. And one of the other people on the set showed him this picture of this Ant-Man costume. And he was like, this is you? And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's Reese. We built this. This is him driving around in it. And uh, so that, you know, they kind of bonded over this Ant-Man costume and uh, the, the next year we got to show it to him in person instead of just a, a picture of it and he every time that a new Ant-Man film has come out Reese has come up with a new Ant-Man costume um, they've all been different and he uh, you know he's shown them to Paul and and Paul just keeps being inspired by it and, and loves all the creativity that Reese comes up with for his Ant-Man costumes now you guys so was, make frequent appearances at conventions, and you'll do costume yes. reveals there. Um, yes. How we, how hard is it? To, how hard is it to get these costumes to the kids? Because you got to ship these things. You know, just sometimes you we do have to ship them. Um, we know that ahead of time before we start building them. Yeah. So if if there's a situation where we are going to be shipping the costume, then we design the costume differently so it can break down into smaller parts. And that it's easy for the parents to put back together and uh, put on the child's chair. We will also send YouTube videos showing step by step how to reassemble the costume, how to how to uh, put it onto a chair, and that way the parents definitely um, have have a way of uh, of easily uh, utilizing the costumes that we build. What's been the most complicated design that you guys have done so far? You know, every time that I get asked that question, it's usually the most recent costume we've built. And then <laughs> the next time I get asked, it's it's one beyond that. And that's a lot of it's because we do challenge ourselves with coming up with new ways of doing it, uh, new engineering problems. And so, you know, it's it's just a way of solving all those problems in order to make it work. And how many do you, how many volunteers do you have working on this stuff now? Um, right now we have about between 150 to 200 volunteers that have signed up on our website and they're scattered all over the United States. So we have a child in Denver, Colorado who needs a costume. We'll look for volunteers in that area who signed up on our site to try and pair them up because it's, it's much easier to build a costume if you can do test fittings and, and things like that. Hopefully. Sure. Uh, but if it's one where the child is someplace where we don't have any volunteers, then we have to rely on the family to send us those, those measurements hope that they're accurate. And uh, then when we, we, when we ship a costume in that situation, we design it so that there's some flexibility um, so that they can make adjustments if their measurements are a little off or if, uh, you know, if, if the way we attach it, we didn't quite have the right measurements or something, you know, we try and factor all of that in into the design. Yeah. 
uh, Monkey Jesus suggests making inflatables uh, where you get the PVC frame and then latex and everything's printed on it. How 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 has the process gone where you find what materials work the best? Because I imagine you guys have tried out a bunch of different things to make sure this yeah. this how um, it's got to hold together longer than five minutes up on stage. Right. Uh, inflatables is something that we have been looking into, trying to figure out a an easy way to to do that. Um, it definitely would be easy to ship and uh, <laughs> easy for the parents to put together. Um, it's it's developing the the frame structure to go around the chair and then have the inflatable go around that as well. Yeah. Um, but it is something we have looked into. Then there is, um, you know, we've we've migrated from different different materials. Uh, what works best? What what different? It, it depends on, on what the costume is. You know, if if there's if it's an animal, you know, if a child wants a horse, um, then we're using different types of materials and and actual you know fur to to make <laughs> make the horse happen. When we did the Ant Man costume, uh, we actually used things like truck bed liner, a spray spray truck bed liner to create the texture of the ant's shell. Okay, and, yeah. you know, it's just things that we experiment with and, and find that that will work differently for different types of costumes yeah because this stuff also has to be light enough that that you can move around in it because you know you've got a kid yes. in a wheelchair and it either either it's they're self-propelled you know moving around mm-hmm. on their own or somebody's got to push this thing right and about that factors into it too. The yeah about 95 percent of the costumes we build are for manual wheelchairs uh, every now and then we'll have a motorized wheelchair and you have a little more flexibility on, on the weight of the costume, but a manual wheelchair, you know, when we're building it for a five-year-old and they want to be able to drive their chair, we, yeah. the costume has to be light, has to be very lightweight in order for them to be able to, to get around easily. So what's been the most, uh, that's, that's kind of, uh, I don't know that I want to ask that question because it's kind of kind of saying which which child is your favorite. Uh, do you, <laughs> do you have a particular costume that you're the most proud of at this point that you point to it and you go, we with that one we got that one right that one was the that's the yeah. best one. Um, I mean, when we started this, both Reese and I had kind of a bucket list of costumes that we were hoping a child would request so that we could build it. Um, but, you know, we've, we've done Back to the Future DeLoreans, uh, Batmobiles, different things like that. But one that I was, I personally was really proud of was the, the Baymax costume from Big Hero 6. And that one was just, it was a, it was our first time to really um, play with foam and figure out how to make, make a costume that way. Um, and so it was, I was very happy with how that came out. Um, Reese will tell you that his favorites are the Ant-Man costumes. Uh, he he is already looking forward to building a fourth Ant-Man costume and and uh, figuring out different ways of doing that as well. So he those are definitely his favorite. Uh, but yeah, it's a lot of it is just you know bucket list costumes that we are looking forward to building in the future. Have yeah, you ha- that's the big. Have yeah. you had one? Have you had one yet that stumped you? Oh. Um, I mean, there's definitely been some that, you know, we had to kind of think about and, and talk to some of our expert build team members and, and figure out how do we even pull this off? And, 
And uh, we figured it out uh, eventually, but it's just kind of one of those things that you never, the, the kids always choose what they want to be. So yeah. it depends on how clever the, the kids are, how creative they, they uh, come up with their ideas and then figuring out how to make that for the, for the child's chair. So um, somebody asked if any kid has requested Modoc. Um, have you have you got some that are sitting there going, "Why would the kid want to wear that one?" Have you have you had a Modoc request yet? We have not had a Modoc request. Um, <laughs> ironically, you know, and and a lot of people don't don't really think about it this way, but you know, we we have a lot of people who say, you know, "Have you done a Professor X?" You know, have you done um, Oracle from Batman and things? And it's like. You know, when these kids are uh, in wheelchairs their whole lives, they don't always want to dress up as a character that's in a wheelchair. Yeah, they want to be something different, and so Modoc kind of falls into that same category. Yes, he he's floating and, and moving around, but he's kind of in just a, a big chair. And so, you don't have too many kids who who will request something like that. Yeah, is there which what's the what's the biggest one on the bucket list that y'all haven't done yet? My personal one, I want to do a, a Michael Keaton Batmobile, <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of kind of old to where uh, not many kids are going to request that one. You yeah. know, they'll they'll pick the Tumblr or or the uh, Ben Affleck version, um, but not too many go all the way back to '89. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what's on Reese's bucket list now. He he's got a few, um, but I'm not sure which ones are still on there that he hasn't built. <laughs> An easy one would be the tuk tuk carts from Indiana Jones Five. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, okay, so um, you've done. Uh, you said close to about 150 of these things so far. Is that what you said? The Minis Boutique, the the first one that you pulled up um, on the photos page. It should be the most recent picture. Yeah, that one would be really close to that tuk tuk car from Indiana Jones take the bow off the top and not make it pink. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. So, um, okay. So, so costume reveals, uh, let's talk about what's coming up because on Saturday, uh, this coming Saturday, we're going to be this broadcasting. We're going to be broadcasting a reveal party for you guys. We're going to be helping right. with that, uh, going over to your YouTube and your Facebook and probably our channels, depending on how much bandwidth we've got. Uh, starting okay. at 3 p.m. Central and going for three hours, we're going to do new costume reveals. What's uh, what, what can we look forward to on that? We are going to be doing 10 costume reveals. Um, they are they're designed by some high schools um, and some from our workshops where we, we have a bunch of volunteers come into a makerspace and build a bunch of costumes together as a group. But a lot of these high schools have been working on them since the beginning of school year. And this is their chance to reveal them live on stage. Um, this will be the first time that the kids and the parents see the costume. So it's, it's an exciting time for them. They're, very, they're looking forward to it and they get to take the costumes home that night. We will have a professional photographer there who's going to take photos of the kids in their costumes after they get them. Uh, we will have raffle items, um, trick-or-treat area for, for kids to, to earn some candy, uh, we'll have um, crafts and activities, all kinds of things. 
Um, we'll be selling some t-shirts. It is our, our big fundraiser for the whole year. So it is every year, Halloween, we, we reveal as many costumes as we can just right before so that kids can can do all their trick-or-treating in their new costumes. Sure. Uh, Road Vagabond Live asks, have there been any party pooper studios sending cease and desist notices for copyright? Have you all had to worry about licensing? Absolutely not. Um, in fact, we've had just the opposite. Uh, most studios, because we don't sell these costumes, we do them all for free. That's uh, all out of volunteer work. No studio has sent us any type of uh, cease and desist. However, we have had some studios... Uh, Sony Pictures, when they found out we were doing a, a um, Ghostbusters Ecto-1, they sent us all kinds of stuff. They they sent us all the graphics that were actually used on the real Ecto-1. Um, oh, cool. Sent them to us so that we could scale them to the size of the costume and get them printed. So, you know, they, they said, what else do you need? We said, we need, a, we need a proton pack. And they go, we'll send you one. So they sent us a proton pack to go on the back of the, the costume as well. So, I mean... Studios are usually pretty happy to, to help out with us yeah. uh, to build these costumes for these kids. One of the things that we had talked about with getting, uh, getting volunteers, you're looking for people everywhere. I mean, we've, we've yes. talk, we talked about you know, having different build teams and different people in the United mm-hmm. States. But this is something that can be done worldwide. Right, because uh, one of the one of the guys who runs the the BB-8 puppet uh, is aware yes. of you guys. He's over in the UK. Uh, do you have mm-hmm. how many build teams and volunteers do you have uh, outside the US? Right now, we actually don't have any uh, volunteers, but we do get requests from Europe and uh, from from England. Uh, you know, kids wanting re- costumes over there as well. Um, it's just not something that we can ship the costumes internationally. Mm-hmm. So if, if we have volunteers in that area, we could definitely uh, put you in touch with some families that need some costumes. Now, are you able to ship to Canada? We have not yet. No. <laughs> I have shipped to Hawaii, but, yeah. but I haven't shipped to Canada. When you get uh, the, the request, mm-hmm. how do you decide which one you're going to do? I know that's got to be a tough it is Thanks. extremely tough. Um, yeah, because we get far more requests than we are able to build every year. And so it's always a hard decision to figure out which kids are we going to build for and which ones are we not. Um, a lot of it comes down to the, the volunteers that we have. If we have high schools that are building costumes and this is the first time that they've ever built a costume, they are going to look at what the kids are requesting. And a lot of times they will pick something that's a little easier yeah. just because they you know, they, they, it's their first time. You're not sure how they're doing it. If you have a more experienced team and they're looking at the request list, they might choose something that's a little more difficult to give themselves a, a challenge. So, you know, I, I don't want to say whenever a kid is picking a costume on the application, you know, don't pick something easy just in hopes that you'll get picked um, because it, it just depends on, on the volunteers at that time. Uh, when we do our workshops, a lot of times we will choose some challenging costumes because we know we'll have a lot of volunteers. We'll have some seasoned builders there that know what they're doing and and can, can tackle some of those more complex costumes. Um, but, you know, it, there's also the kids that, that want 
something rather simple. And, um, you know, those are just, just as useful for those beginner teams starting out. Percentage-wise, how much would you say, how, how many of the families who get the costumes, how many of them end up as volunteers afterwards? Well, that's a great question. Um, we, have, we have had quite a few that have signed up as volunteers. We've also had a lot of parents who, after they receive their costume, they talk to the companies that they work for and they say, you know, you guys get, need to sponsor one of these costumes or we want our company to build one of these costumes as a team building experience. And so a lot of times it kind of spreads that way of they just want, want to be involved more, uh, want to help out. They'll tell their friends who have kids in wheelchairs and say, hey, you guys got to sign up for this. This was really cool. This was what our kid got. And, and you know, so kind of a word of mouth type of uh, sharing goes on as well. How, how much of an adjustment is there for building uh, a costume for a walker, for example? I mean, could you talk about doing some of those? Sure. Is that, um, is that tougher or is it just a different, we're just making a different design it, element? You definitely make a different design element. Um, we don't typically, I mean, it, and it all comes down to the requests of the kid, but a lot of times our walker costumes are not, they're not the, you know, the Batmobiles, the DeLoreans, they're not the big vehicles. It's typically something, um, we've done a Peter Pan one on a walker that had the characters flying around the, the walker. Uh, we have, we've actually done walker costumes for kids in weddings uh, that are the ring bearers or the, the flower girls. And so we'll work with the the wedding team to figure out what are the colors do you have scraps of fabric left over and we will build a, a costume that changes their walker into something that's fitting for their wedding um you just you never know what it's going to be but typically the walkers just because of the nature of them there's not as many places to attach to and so you're you're kind of limited on the size and scope of the costume for yeah. a walker um, little, little smaller, but but we still try and put as much creativity into it as well. Somebody mentioned Mario Kart earlier. I noticed this one here, the mm -hmm. Princess Princess Peach one. Have y'all done a Mario Kart? We have. Uh, there was one. I I want to say 2019. Um, there was a a it was actually a set of triplets. Two of them were in wheelchairs, so one of them got a uh, JoJo seaweed. Forgot her name. Jojo Siwa. Jo Jojo Siwa, and then her brother got Mario Kart. And so the the picture shows both of them. I think they're nighttime photos. <laughs> but they would probably be twenty eighteen to twenty nineteen somewhere yeah. in there. Do you have criteria where somebody will make a request and you'll sit there and go, "Oh no, absolutely not. We're not building that ever." Do you have do you have any we, any any off limits never never to be seen designs? We have we have had one request that we did not feel was safe for the child, and so we turned it down. Um, that was where at, at first we thought it was a great idea. The child loved bubbles, and you know we thought great we can do bubble machines. We can have all kinds of stuff. And the mom said, no, 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 you don't understand. I want my child encased in a bubble oh. and the wheelchair and everything encased in a bubble. It's like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> that just, 
that seemed a little risky. <laughs> right. Um, but that's been the only one that we have turned down due to safety issues. Now, I got to say this one here, this Arrowhead one, this one. The Arrowhead Stadium. <laughs> that one was actually designed um, by, by GBA, which was an um, engineering construction company here in Olathe. And they were looking to build a costume for their, I, I don't remember what their anniversary was, uh, how many years they've been in business. But the very first project they had ever done as a company was designing the actual Arrowhead Stadium. And so when they saw that there was a child that had a request, he wanted to be Patrick Mahomes and he wanted the wheelchair to be turned into Arrowhead Stadium. They said, that is the perfect costume for our anniversary. So they built this costume. And even though you can't see it in this picture, that giant Chiefs right in the front, the yeah. backside of that had a working jumbotron. And so it played 45 minutes of highlights of Patrick Mahomes, <laughs> Patrick Mahomes highlights. And uh, the child was so infatuated with it. He spent most of his time staring at that screen and not looking where he was going. So <laughs> yeah, there were, there were some bumps and <laughs> things along the way, but he loved the costume and uh, it, he, he likes to sit because we gave that to him Halloween of 2019. Yeah. And he likes to say that his costume was the reason that the chiefs won the Super Bowl that year. <laughs> <laughs> well, this year, this year, it'll be because of Taylor Swift. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you've met Paul. You've met Rosario Dawson. You've met uh, Giancarlo Esposito. What other what other celebrities have you gotten on their radar with all of this? Let's um, let's do a little name dropping here for a minute. Okay. Uh, there were some of a lot of the cast of Ant Man. Um, there's there's a, an event here called Big Slick that happens in the beginning of June, I think. Um, where a bunch of celebrities come into town and raise money for Children's Mercy Hospital for yeah. the, the big, cancer floor. Big poker And tournament. Paul Rudd is one of the hosts of that one. And so we have had these costumes. We've had the Ant-Man costume at, at some of those. We had the Ghostbusters costume um, just so that they can, they can see it. And so we meet a lot of the celebrities there, and uh, a lot of them have commented on it, shared them. Uh, so met some at Comic-Con as well. And uh, but Stephen Amell, uh, he uh, he liked the Tron light cycles that we had driving around. And so uh, we've met uh, uh, one of the Dustin from Stranger Things. Oh, right, um, right. We were doing a costume for a little girl. She wanted a Stranger Things themed costume. And uh, he was one of the celebrities at Comic-Con. And so he, he came to our booth and, and checked out all of our, our costumes there as well. You mentioned the the arrowhead, you know, navigating around in these things because some of these can be pretty right. pretty elaborate. You know, yes. this this the Cinderella carriage and the Arrowhead Stadium and all this mm -hmm. other stuff. Um, when you when you put the instructions in the box, here's how you put this thing together. Are you also giving them a little guidance on how to how to navigate in this thing? Okay, you need six handlers distance of 10 feet apart and all are how how detailed I mean, people got to figure out how to get around in these things yes um reese ha has pointed out he said it, it takes a little bit of time to get used to the added added length in the front or the back and he said but not too long you kind of you quickly pick up on it and 
after you bump into a few things, you kind of know where the limits are. Um, but, you know, we always make sure that our costumes fit through doorways. And so the kids can can navigate through through doorways if they're going to school or, or wherever they want to take their costumes. Um, so it it's just a matter of, I, I sometimes think the parents are more nervous about that than the kids because the kids are just ready to drive and, and show show off their costume and the parents are right behind them. Going, oh my gosh, watch out, watch out and try and <laughs> protect them. Yeah. What are the, well, not what are there, are there challenges? And I don't want to talk out of turn, but are, are there, have there ever been challenges dealing with the, with the families not necessarily arguments or question or problems or anything like mm-hmm. that, but just, you know, what, what challenge, especially the people that are out of town, you know, cause you've right. got to communicate back and forth. You get all the measurements and everything. How, how much harder is it when they're not actually right there? Cause when you're, when you're going through and you're saying, okay, well, I've got this, this make and model. Sometimes you can get a, you can get a copy like you can get a, mm-hmm. a wheelchair that's this is the one that the kid wears, you know, it has so we'll we'll build around this one. But you don't always get a chance right. to do that. Right. It it is definitely difficult. Um, we've had measurements that have come back from parents that we really question whether they're right or wrong. <laughs> um, just you know, looking at the kids' photos and they're saying, you know, distance from here to here is twenty three inches, but from here to here it's thirty two inches. And it's like, those are the same distance. Why, why the discrepancy? And, you know, trying to figure out what is actually accurate and what is not. Um, it's, it's a challenge in, in that way. Um, not all parents are familiar with how to, how to measure things. And, you know, if we say, what's the distance between the handlebars of the chair, um, you know, we have to be very specific or else you could get some parents that measure from the outside to the outside or from the inside to the inside or from the middle to the middle. Right. And all three are going to be drastically different if we're trying to slide the costume onto the handlebars. Um, you know, we, we need that measurement to be accurate. Um, so we, we try and we've learned over the years where to be specific on what we need and um, things like that. So so that we try and minimize any of those types of things from, from the measurements from the parents. Besides the convention stuff, uh, have you have how much involvement uh, or or communication or coordination have you done with say children's hospitals or anything? Because I know a lot of cosplayers will go and do appearances at the you know the children's wings at the different hospitals. Mm-hmm. You know, Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman, they'll all show up and say hi to the kids and whatnot. It's kind of hard to do that in a wheelchair costume that's taking up, you know, all this bulk. But do you have do you have anything that you all have done working with hospitals in that in that regard? Um, It's it's not so much. I mean, part of the part of the issue there is, um, you know, when those cosplayers come around and, and visit all the kids, they have to be 18 and older. Um, they don't usually let kids do that. Right. And so we haven't been able to take our costumes, um, you know, to meet a lot of the kids in the hospital. However, we do go to things like an ability summit where there are, um, it, it's designed for people with mobility issues and they show all the, the 
new features that are coming out, new new products, different things like that. And we'll have a booth there. And so we'll, we kind of, all those kids come to us then and learn about what we offer. And we will have a lot of kids sign up just in a matter of hours. We'll have a, a whole list of kids waiting, you know, ready to get a new costume. Um, so that's usually been our best avenue of trying to reach them. Um, we'll also sometimes meet with uh, physical therapists and, you know, they'll, they'll say, do you have some flyers that I can share with the families? And like, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, give them a stack of flyers and, and they're passing them out to families that they think would be a good, good candidate to get a, a costume from us. Where in, where in the world, where in the United States do you have a good number of, of requests and no people, no volunteers where you need people? Where, where, where are you looking right now? You point on a map and say, we need people X city. Florida. <laughs> Florida is probably where we have a lot of requests and not a lot of volunteers for some reason. Um, we, we're opening chapters around the nation uh, so we have one in, in Wichita at Wichita State University. We're going to be opening two more that we're going to be announcing this Saturday um, that are in the northeastern section of the United States. Um, we would love to try and get someone in the Chicago area that can that can build some costumes up there as well. Um, you know, any, any big city, uh, more volunteers we have in those areas, the, the better. Yeah. Um, Texas, we seem to be getting quite a few uh, requests recently, and you know, we don't have a lot of. Texas is so big that yes, you can have volunteers in Texas, but they're still six hours away from where the right. child is located. Right, <laughs> right. Now the the other the other thing uh, you you're talking about the build teams at the high schools. Have you had any conversations with uh, maker events? Any of mm -hmm. those groups? Yeah, we, we have, um, we, locally here in Kansas City, we work with Hammerspace, Makerspace, and uh, they, they do a lot of, they host a lot of our workshops and events like that. We've been to Maker Fairs and, um, you know, try to recruit people. Maker Fairs, we, we tend to do get a lot of volunteers uh, willing to help build the costumes, and it, it doesn't matter what your skill level is or what you're skilled in because we never know what the kids are going to request. And if they're going to request something like if a child wants a fire truck for their costume, we are definitely going to want people who are good with lights and sounds and sirens and yeah. be able to incorporate those into the costume. Even if that is the only part that they know how to do, we'll have other volunteers who know how to build the, the frame and build the, the shell of the costume or paint it, but don't know how to do the lights and sounds. And so we try and pair up multiple people for each costume to, in order to pull it off and, and work for the child for their requests. Now, is there a minimum age for people to volunteer or is any, anybody and everybody is welcome? We, we will uh, utilize any volunteers. When we do our workshops, we have had kids as young as three or four show up. Um, there was a costume we did early on where we did a frozen costume, Elsa Thrones, or her, her big ice throne. And part of the costume was we needed a lot of snowflakes. And so we had kids cutting out snowflakes all over in order to, to 
populate this costume. We've had other ones where uh, we had a butterfly queen. It was an original design by the child, and we needed a lot of handmade butterflies. And so we had kids helping with that as well. It, it just depends on what the costumes are, on uh, how they can help, uh, what they can do. Um, but I mean, any age is welcome. Uh, we, we will find something for you to do. If we're, we're building a Little Mermaid costume, we need seashells painted and and all kinds of things. You know, it's it's the little details where we need a lot of it, and uh, little hands are are great at helping with that. When you first started on this, now your your background is in marketing, graphic design. You know, it's 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 kind of and not a not a hard step from one to the next. Like, okay, well. I know how to, I know how to design artwork and and graphics and and whatnot. So you put the Wall E thing together, and all all of those things. How how much of your professional skill set have you found translates into this? And you're like, oh, okay, I I can I can do this now, and I can do all of this. Is that like all of it, or just um, a few pieces? I mean. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, everything that, uh, you know, I learned in college and, and I studied to be a Disney animator. And so everything that I had done was all 2D on paper. And so utilizing all of those skills, I can design the costumes on paper and, and show the designs to the families and, and get their approval on the designs. But then once we switch into 3D and start actually building these costumes, that's where I had no, no training. <laughs> so. Yeah. I completely self-taught myself this this entire process. Every year we, we learn new techniques and, and it's all just kind of on-job training. I have frequently, and, and Mrs. Boss would back me up on this, but she's not down here right now. I have frequently complained about how often my technology betrays me. When you're getting into stuff like this, are you getting into CAD designs and and computer programs, or is it all on paper? You just you just sketch it out and hope for the best. I mean, how how rigid is the planning? Because like you were saying earlier, you know, you you get one measurement off and the whole thing falls apart. How yeah. how strict does it have to be before you ever start putting anything together? Um. I will say, you know, when we started, everything was just done on paper and just kind of sketching it out, um, not any measurements on the paper. It was just, you know, here's how it's going to go around the chair. And then once we start building it, we kind of figure out the measurements as we go. Since then, we have definitely uh, evolved. My son, Reese, has gotten involved in CAD and starts designing some of the parts in CAD. Uh, we 3D print things, um, different elements of the costumes. And then just this past year, we started working with a program called Crafty Amigo. And it's a free program online that literally is just um, it's to basically design anything you want out of PVC pipes. Hmm. And you can, you can do it on your phone. You can, do it, you can even transfer it onto your computer and back and forth. We can share it with other teams that are building it. And what's really great is after you get the whole thing designed, you can say, give me my shopping list, and it will tell you exactly how many of every type of joint that you need to collect in order to build this costume. Nice. That has definitely sped up the process quite a bit. 
Well, in as many as many costumes as you've done so far, I imagine that you're keeping records. So, you yes. know, somebody somebody comes in and makes a request for a particular costume. Let's say I want I want the Knight Rider Trans Am. Well, we could take a piece from the Ecto one, and we can take a piece from Mario Kart. We can do this. And are you are are you able to repurpose design elements, or do oh, yes. you have to do everything um, from scratch of, every time? I mean, there there's certain parts of it that will always be from scratch, but you know, we have some uh, basic designs online uh, that we share with anyone, uh, and it can be you know, if you're developing a a van type of vehicle. Um, whether it's the A-Team van, whether it's the Mystery Machine or any type of vehicle of that size, here's the basic framework that you'll need to build. And um, then it just, there's some minor modifications in order to make it into, you know, a Knight Rider car or things like that. Yeah. Then when you get into more organic uh, costumes such as animals or, or things that, you know, aren't as mass produced as a car, um, then then we have a different type of, of uh, template that people can start with. And those are just more along lines of, of starting off points. So people can, can start with that and then make modifications to their individual costume as to how to make that, that frame work for what they're doing. Because a lot of people do get very intimidated by just a blank sheet of paper when, when it comes to designing these costumes. So we want to give them something to help them get going. Now, have you been able to get cooperation from wheelchair manufacturers in terms of getting specs and and uh designs of okay here's what the here's what this chair is and get all the all the manufacturer numbers yes um a lot of a lot of that stuff is available online just uh you know to to pull the type of information you know we ask the families what's the make and model of your chair and what are the basic measurements and then we'll go onto the company's website and try and try and get, uh, you know, design models of the, the chair or you know, other specs that we might need. Uh, but then we also partner with a company, a local company called New Motion. And when we are doing our workshops at Hammerspace, we, we tell New Motion, it's like, okay, these are the six chairs that we are building this weekend. Um, here's the makes and models and basic measurements of all of them. And they will try and get us the an actual duplicate of each chair to have in the, in the workshop. Yeah. Um, you know, they try and match it as closely as they can. And then they've done a phenomenal job doing that as well. So, you know, hats off to new motion. Yeah. Now there's a question in the chat here from road vagabond live. Do they open source the costume builds for parents to home build in, in those places where you don't have build teams Yes. and you have families that say, okay, we want to do one of these ourselves. Do you? How often does that happen? Where the parents sit there? I love what you do. There's nobody in this area that can that can help us. We want to just go ahead and just build it ourselves. Do you? How how much help can you give a family like that? We can give them as much help as they'd like. We will gladly, you know, if if it's a costume that we have already built, such as a you know Back to the Future DeLorean, we will send them everything that we have, you know, when we have built it, we document, uh, lots of photos, um, you know, anything that we have, we will share with them. And then we also have, uh, our expert build team that they can jump on a zoom call with anyone and help them answer any questions. Uh, you know, basically nothing that we do, we keep ourselves. 
it's it's all shareable and um, you know we, we have a resources page on our website that we share all of our 3d printed joints and models and uh, plans for for different costumes and uh, just you know anything that we can to make these available we're not trying to make it to where you know you have to go through us in order to get these things the idea is we design these costumes to be able to be built by by parents um you know we try and make them as as simple as, as possible um, i mean obviously some of the designs are you know if one thing we've talked about is putting a a level of difficulty on each of our designs so that the parents look at them and go oh, okay that's a four star i i need something that's more of a one or two yeah um just so that they kind of know what they're getting into if they choose one of the costumes we've already built but yeah, to answer the question, we share everything that we can with anyone who, who wants to build one of these costumes, whether it's for us. Oh. I think I think I think his Wi Fi just just Yep, there are you back? I'm back. There you are. Okay. I think I think your Wi Fi is starting to get a little tired there, Lon. Uh sorry. <laughs> it's all right. Uh tell me, here's here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take a real quick break. When we get back, um, we're going to open up. So people in the chat, if you've got questions for Lon, uh, let's start lining those up. And um, we will continue. And I have a question for you as well, um, something that I have not asked you yet. So uh, we will take a real quick break and uh, back with more with uh, Lon Davis right after this. Stay tuned. Spanning the globe with an electromagnetic signal aimed at the visual and auditory receptors in your brain. This is Sci-Fi For Me TV. Sci-Fi For Me is about to take you on an incredible journey into the realms of science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Interviews with writers, filmmakers, artists, and actors. Conventions and fandom. Previews and reviews of movies and television. Sci-Fi For Me is working to be the most popular science fiction magazine in the solar system. Subscribe now and enter the fantastic world of Sci-Fi For Me, delivering the multiverse since 2009.
Back live from the bunker, Jason Hunt here, along with all of you friends uh, around the internet. Good to have all of you with us. We are talking with Lon Davis. He is the co-founder, along with his son Reese, of Walking and Rolling Costumes. Uh, they make costumes for kids in wheelchairs, kids with walkers, special needs kids. These are special costumes because they are all one of a kind. And um, not just not just off the shelf. Although you're pu you're pulling material from off the shelf to to put all this stuff together, but right. uh, you're rather clever in how you do that. Um, now, just some clarification because uh, we had we had some discussion just real quick during the break about this last question about open sourcing, helping your parent helping the parents. You're talking in terms of instructions. Uh, yes. do you provide supplies or, or anything like that for, for parents who want to do these things by themselves or on their own? We don't provide the supplies, but we, we will provide you, um, a list of where to find the supplies, uh, what we use, different things like that. Okay. Um, in any of the 3d printed files, you can definitely download and, and print on your own. Um, but we, we won't send you the supplies needed to build the customs. I imagine it's probably a little bit of a, of a logistical challenge. And, and of course there's the money issue as well. So um, now you're, you guys are a 501 C three. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Correct. All right. So people can make don donations and they're tax deductible and they can finance. Absolutely. Uh, you, yes. Is, is there a particular number that you try to hit every year with, uh, with fundraising? Um, ideally we try and hit higher than we did the year before, <laughs> uh, just trying to, you know, always be able to make more costumes. Um, a lot of the number of costumes that we build each year is reliant upon how much money we raised uh, the year before. So, you know, like this party that we're doing this, uh, Saturday, the reveal party, all the money that we raised goes to help, uh, fund the costumes for 2024. How many? How many do you anticipate? On average, how many do you do in a year? I think this year we're going to hit somewhere between thirty and thirty-five costumes mm -hmm. uh, for the year. Uh, we we will hit one hundred and fifty total that we have built so far at this Halloween. Wow. Um, but I think thirty-six is the highest we've ever done in a year. But as we expand and open new chapters, you know, that number is going to start growing exponentially. So what does it take to open a chapter? Somebody wants to do one, Hey, I'm, I'm down in Houston or I'm, I'm in Philadelphia or whatever. How, how does somebody get started on a new chapter for this? The, the first thing that we asked is, is that you do a, a complete build from start to finish before we turn you into a chapter. Uh, we want you to know exactly what you're getting into. Um, know what the process is like. It's not a quick build. Uh, you know, it's not something you can typically do in a weekend. Uh, it is, it is something that we, we say averages about 150 hours. And so we want to make sure that you understand that before you uh, become a chapter. Once you have met those requirements and you still want to move forward as a chapter, then we'll have discussions talking about what all you will be responsible for. Um, there will be annual dues in order to, uh, cover the costs of opening a chapter in your area. Now, if you do fundraising as well, that can 
cover the costs of the dues so that you wouldn't have to to pay them uh, then the following year um, and then there are things you know you we would have you go to local comic cons or anything like that promoting your chapter of the the company um, you'd be doing your own types of reveals uh, if you expand out to where you also are working with high schools and helping them uh, with additional builds, you know, then you would be kind of uh, be in charge of those teams as well. So it, it depends on how, how big of a chapter you want to have. Um, some of the chapters, you know, like the Wichita State University chapter right now is just a college chapter. So they have created a club within the, the school it's run by faculty members, but that way they always have new students every semester helping build the costumes. And so that's kind of a, that's probably the easiest type of chapter that we have available. Uh, but then we have some that are, you know, like what we do here in Kansas City, where I work with multiple high schools, uh, multiple teams. They're all building different costumes. Even if I myself am not building them, I, I'm in charge of, of helping all these additional teams and going to trade shows and promoting the company in that capacity. This is this is sounding like it's a full time gig for you. I mean, I know besides besides just, you know, day job type stuff, which, right. you know, that's that's a challenge in and of itself, because, you know, post pandemic, everything is just, you know, sideways. Is, right. is this the full-time thing for you now? It is not. <laughs> I still have another job. And uh, this is, I, I, I tell my wife that this is what I do on evenings and weekends, but she tells me that I spend a lot more than evenings and weekends on it. So <laughs> I, I, I'm going to defer to her on that. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So what do you get out of it? This is my question. You know, because you're, yeah, the beginning of it is I just want to make some costumes for my kid. But this thing has just grown exponentially. I would I would imagine seeing this thing blossom the way it has, there's a certain amount of personal gratification that you get out of it. But what what does what does this all mean in the long run for Lon Davis? Uh this is a way for me to um help creativity. I, I enjoy creating things, creating art, creating uh, these costumes. And it's, it's an outlet for me to, to do this. But when I reveal those costumes to those kids, uh, you know, when we do the countdown, we pull the sheet off the costume and the kids see it for the first time, that look that the kids give that, that excitement. And I mean, a lot of them are just like, I want it on my chair right now. You know, they, they are so excited. They want to get in the costume. They want to drive around because for the first time they are seeing, um, as, as one mother said, their child was stared at for the first time in a good way. Um, they were, you know, they, they were thought of as, you know, this is a cool costume that people wanted their picture with them. They, they wanted to meet this kid. They, it made the kid feel like, the most popular kid in the room. And yeah. that was something that a lot of these kids have never felt before in their lives. And so getting that type of um, appreciation is, is what motivates me to keep doing this. And it's, it's what drives me. What about Reese? Cause he's your, he's your, your partner in crime here. He's your co-founder. Yes. 
um, how, how much how much does he sit there and say, okay, well, we're going to do this. We need to do this. I mean, does he have a lot of, a lot of creative freedom and authority he here? Does. Or, you know, I mean, does he tell you he's, he he's the boss? Yeah. I mean, when we started, he was, um, yeah, he was 10 years old when we started the nonprofit. And by the time he was 13, he was leading teams, um, you know, teams of six to eight adults, and he's telling them, here's how you build it. Here's where you attach it. And, you know, just all on his own, he was leading the teams. And now he's designing costumes in CAD. And he has developed a true love for engineering and wants to get into engineering uh, as a career. So, you know, this is something that I never knew would would spark that interest in him. Um, but it is something that has, has definitely uh, opened doors for him to do that. Now, what about for you? What kind of doors have opened for you? Uh, not, not just professionally, but personally. I mean, you, you've, you've met celebrities, you've traveled, you've done all this stuff, but what, what opportunities have come out of this that maybe you hadn't anticipated is like, Oh, I get to do this. That's kind of cool. Well, I, I get to be on uh, Sci-Fi for Me TV. <laughs> see what he does. See, see what he does here. <laughs> Checks in the um, I, you know, things that things that I didn't expect. Uh, you know, going traveling to trade shows and and doing these these events and and presenting in front of huge audiences has been something I didn't expect. And then um, yesterday, I was interviewed by CNN. And, you know, that's something I didn't expect would ever come of this. So wow. you never know what's what's going to happen and who you're going to meet along the way. Yeah. So. Uh, we've got a suggestion in the chat from Road Vagabond Life. Make a Tesla or a SpaceX costume. Get some Elon funding. Uh, I want to say that I saw over on your Facebook page, you've, you guys have done, have you done the Tesla truck, yep. right? Last year, we did the Cybertruck, the Tesla Cybertruck. Okay. We had a child who was obsessed with Elon Musk. <laughs> And that was like his his role model, and he said, "I want a, a, a Cybertruck." So we built it for him, and he has gone to great lengths to get that costume in front of Elon Musk. <laughs> I commend him for that. Um, I don't know that it's happened yet, but he is posting all over social media. He has gone to events where Elon Musk is there with his costume, trying to get it in front of him, and and I don't think he will stop until he makes it happen. Yeah. <laughs> You mentioned trade shows. I know you've done a number of conventions. We were out at C2E2 at one point, uh, one year, at uh, the same time you guys were, and you've done Planet. You're going to be at Planet Anime coming up here in a, in a few weeks. Um, what other trade shows have you been able to get out in front of and, and, and talk about this besides Comic-Cons? Um, um, ability Summits are... are... The other thing that we've done, uh, we've partnered with Walmart uh, for some of their events, and uh, we're going to be going to be in Texas in December, uh, presenting some costumes at the. Oh, I don't remember the name of the show. Um, it it is a a basketball tournament of the four Texas teams, uh, college teams that will be playing together, and so we're going to be presenting some costumes to some. Uh, super fans of each team. <laughs> so we're doing that like halftime during the, the show. So there's uh, are... we, uh, we, 
we've also presented at the uh, monster truck show. We did created a monster <laughs> truck and, and did that out on the dirt, right in the middle of the stadium. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you, you never really know where you're going to present. Uh, just depends on the costume itself. How surreal is this for you? I mean, who, who would have thought way back you made this Wally thing out of a cardboard box and now here yeah. you are doing all of this. Do you ever stop and just take a look around and go, how did we get here? I mean, does this, does it ever just feel weird? Overwhelming. Overwhelming. <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah. Um, the, the number of costumes we have in our basement, uh, the number of costumes we have in our garage, um, all for you know various trade shows and, and showcase pieces, things like that. Um, my wife wants her garage back so she can park her car <laughs> in the garage. So <laughs> it's, it's Halloween season. It's, sure, it's, sure. It's being occupied right now. But uh, November 1st, if not before, she will have her garage back. <laughs> well, see, now this is an opportunity for you to contact somebody like Tough Shed. And you know yeah. you have have Tufted sponsor, and they'll they'll build you a, build you a thing in the backyard, and you can store all that stuff, right? right? <laughs> exactly. Hey, have you had uh, have you had people contact you? Have you had corporations and and people contact you and say how can we sponsor this? How do, how does a company sponsor? You know, because we've got sponsors coming up on the show uh, on Saturday. Mm -hmm. How does that work out? Well, we've had. Uh, Care Source is one of our big sponsors. Um, we have partnered with them just because they they had a, a similar interest in what we were doing. They came to our event last year. They made a, a donation as one of our sponsors last year and were so moved by what we did that they said, we want to be sponsoring you in multiple states. And so they are, this year they have rolled out uh, a lot of support for us and bringing us to different events uh, in order to reveal costumes. And so you have, you have things like that. And then you've also got B&B uh, &B theaters here in Kansas city. Well, they're, they're all over the nation as well. Um, they are sponsoring every movie themed costume that we are building this year. Nice. And so, you know, they, they want to showcase all of those and share them on social media. So anytime we have, a new movie coming out that the child wants a costume of. We did the little mermaid this year. Um, Bumblebee from the transformers movie. Um, you know, we did the Ant-Man costumes. Uh, so any of those types of costumes, we, we have a Barbie one coming up that we'll be revealing on Saturday. So those types of costumes, um, B and B theaters wants to be involved in. So you, you never know how these uh, sponsors get involved. We've had some that are parents uh, of costumes that we have given their child, you know, one of our costumes and the parents have gone to their companies and, and asked them to sponsor. And so, you know, you meet them that way as well. So it, it's just, it's an interesting dynamic on, on how we get connected to these companies. Uh, but we are thankful for all of the sponsorships that, that we get. What's been the biggest surprise for you in all of this? I don't know. Um, nothing, nothing really surprises me anymore. <laughs> it it kind of just, kind of just keeps rolling and, and uh, grows faster than I expect. Um, I think the, the build, the expert build team that we put together last year has really surprised me with, with how much uh, they have helped 
the company grow in a way that I didn't expect it to. Um, they have introduced new ways of designing the costumes, of attaching the costumes, and it's just kind of a, it's kind of like a creative think tank of people that have been building these costumes for their own kids, or and and kind of come together and compare notes, and it helps us come up with new ways of of designing these costumes. And so that's that's kind of been a big surprise for me. Has there been any opportunity to have an impact on how wheelchairs are designed? Because, I mean, it's, you know, it would be really easy. It would be much better if this was here and if this handle was here and if this, have you had conversations with wheelchair company manufacturers and say, you know, if we could tweak the design a little bit, it'd make it a whole lot easier to put this costume on. <laughs> could, you, could you work I, on that a little ironically, bit? Ironically, we had a, a an interview with, um, a, a wheelchair company, and they were interested in Reese coming to help design their wheelchairs for the future, and and see if if he would have some some input, nice. uh, unique insights into how to do that. So, hmm. uh, yeah, it's definitely a possibility. <laughs> I would imagine that certain designs of chairs are easier to work with with than others. Yes. Uh, Absolutely. What, what kind of what kind of things complicate those? I mean, you know, handle position, the size of the wheels. Where where are the biggest challenges? Depending on what the chair is, the biggest challenges come when the chair itself is adaptable. Um, we have there's one particular type of chair that will recline based upon you know the child's needs, mm -hmm. and it will recline at any degree, and so we have to talk to the families. It's like, what degree do you have your child set at? And then, you know, they could say they sit at 36 degrees. Like, okay, so we have to design everything at 36 degrees. Well, then, you know, we go to put the chair, the costume of the chair. And it's like, well, today we have it at 24 degrees. Well, okay. That changes a lot. Yeah, right. <laughs> so when we are designing for that specific type of chair, we really have to make it flexible. Mm -hmm. Um, the first time we designed for that chair, though, we were able to take that into, in, into consideration because the girl wanted a horse and she wanted it to look like she was riding the horse. But because her chair reclined, she wanted it to when she reclined, the horse would rear up. Right. OK. And so we had to figure out how to design that. And we actually had a, an engineering company that uh, they wanted to build a costume on their own. And we said, how would you guys feel about doing this costume? And they, they heard the challenge and they're like, that is right up our alley. So they built the costume, but then they went a step further and they said, you know, we were having so much fun designing this that when they gave it to her, um, as she rolled, they made it so that the horse galloped. Oh, nice. And so it would gallop as she's, she's driving around. And then when she'd tilt back, it would rear up it. It whinnied. It had like 16 different <laughs> horse sounds that it made. They had a fiber optic mane. Oh, so wow. she could change the color of the mane on a whim, just to whatever color she wanted. So, I mean, they went way beyond what we were expecting and what the what the girl even was expecting. Yeah. So that was a great surprise for her. When you have conversations with people that are building this stuff, what kind of feedback do you get from these people? I mean, I, yeah, I, we talked a little bit about what you get out of it. I, I mean, nobody's getting paid for any of this stuff. Right. You know, it's just the gratification of, of doing it. What kind of what kind of remarks and comments have you heard back from people that are 
that are volunteering? I think one of the the biggest things that I heard was when we first started working with high schools and the kids were were you know they were having the child come into the classroom, they were meeting the child, taking measurements, getting to know the child really well, and then they would build these costumes and it it no longer was a grade to them. It was we are building this for this child, you know, and, and it became more of a personal project to them. Um, the students would start staying after school or coming in on weekends in order to get the costume done. And it's like, they never did that with the regular school work, but they become, become so invested in it that they want to make it work for the child. And then when it came time for them to reveal the costume, a lot of high school students said, you know, they, they would see the reaction. They'd see how excited the child was. And some of the students would actually start crying and they wouldn't quite understand why yeah. uh, it was just because it was an emotion to something that they had done nice for someone else. And it had a huge impact on them. And, um, you know, they wanted to continue doing this work because it made them feel good. Now, I imagine you still get you get first time volunteers every year. Absolutely. How- have you have you had people that have said, you know, I'm in this for the long haul. I'm never quitting. Yes, yes, we have. Besides um, family, because <laughs> they're well, kind of, they're kind of stuck. Um, some of those people uh, open up chapters yeah. and uh, you know really get invested into the company and and want to see how far they can take it as well. Um, we have had high school students that have become so invested. Um, it was there were kid in Kansas City. His name was Jackson. And he built costumes for one of the local high schools here, loved it, went to Wichita State University. And he's the one that started the chapter there in Wichita State University. He got the faculty involved. Um, he heads up the, the whole group. So, um, you know, these are these are people who take great pleasure in what they have done and want to want to continue it as long as they can. So after the reveal party on Saturday, what mm-hmm. comes what comes after that? Because we're getting into we get into Halloween. Once you're past Halloween, what's what's next on the schedule for you guys? Well, okay, so this Saturday we have the reveal party. Then next Saturday or next weekend we have Planet Anime. We're gonna be doing a panel about disabilities and um Cosplay, Disabilities and Cosplay, I think is the name of the panel. So both Reese and I will be part of that panel. Then we're also doing a costume reveal at Planet Anime. And um, then after that, you know, we we really, this is the time, this is the month where we make 90% of our money for the whole year. So, you know, we really try and uh, publicize the different costumes that we revealed this year and the stories. And then uh, after that, November 1st, it all starts to die down and that's kind of our off season. Um, but we have, we have this event coming up in December where we're going to be doing the, the basketball uh, reveals. Yeah. So there's not even really a downtime for us this year. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, there are, there are worse ways to spend your time, you know? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, let us pull up here uh, every place where people can find you. The website, walkandrolling.org. No G's in any of that. Uh, you can also find them on Facebook and on Twitter. Are you on any other social media? 
YouTube, YouTube, um, definitely Instagram. Um, we're actually on Pinterest too, and a lot of people do find us on Pinterest. Okay. And while they're trying to search for wheelchair ideas for their kids' costumes, and they stumble across us there. We will um, we will update our links on our show notes with those as well, and uh, we'll have either either we'll be on every every place or we'll be just on your YouTube and your Facebook on Saturday, but we'll be helping out with the broadcast there. Looking forward to that. And uh, Lon, this is, you know, anybody wants to volunteer, anybody wants to throw you money, there's different ways to get in touch with you there. Uh, we will have all of those links uh, in the notes. So, Lon, I know you've got phone calls to, to return and probably some emails to answer, so... Thanks very much for being here, sir. I do appreciate Thank it. You for having me. All right. So when, when we get back, <laughs> I'm, I, yeah, when we get back, we're going to open it up. We're going to put you guys in charge. Okay. I may, I may regret this. I usually do. Well, no, I don't. It'll be all right. So we'll be back with open line right after this. Absolutely. Stand by. We are vengeance. We are the night. We are sci-fi for me. <laughs> oh my goodness. That, Jason, is probably, I think, the hardest question you're going to ask. Interviews with writers, filmmakers, artists, and actors. That's a good question, though. That's an interesting question. Question. That's a great question. Count on Sci-Fi for me to be there asking all of the questions. Um, it's another great question. These are all really good questions. Bringing you news and opinion from all over the web. Sci-Fi for me, delivering the multiverse since 2009. All right, we are back for the third hour. We are live from the bunker, and we're not back yet. Not really. Jason Hunt here, along with Mrs. Boss over there. Hi. And this is the open line hour. Uh, so let me do this. I got to click a couple of buttons here. Here's what we're gonna do. I'm going to uh, I'm gonna let Mrs. Boss vamp. Uh, for just a second while I go get me some more coffee. Coffee. And uh, Mrs. Boss can just talk about whatever. And, and as long as it's not... Um, Things. Too terribly embarrassing. I will be right back. Too terribly embarrassing? All, well, you know, you know, you know. Yes, I do know. Yes. Um... <laughs> Writing campaign on something? Put your camera down a little bit. You're too far in the bottom of it. I'm Keep short. Going. Keep going. There you go. Uh, there. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. She's all yours. Have fun. I don't know what you guys should be more scared of, the open line Friday or the fact that he just left the room with me on here so that I can vamp. Um, like I said, we could start a write-in campaign for embarrassment. I have been trying to talk him for the last four years of this marriage, 
to do a family portrait with the office crew that we have here in matching pajamas of some sort. I think it would be adorable. Have us two matching, have the two interns, office dog and junior office dog in something, and we could have a family portrait. Because, I mean, we've gotten some portraits, you know, like my mom sitting across from us at a restaurant type thing. But I think it would be cute. We could hang it on the wall with all the other stuff. I mean, we've got plenty of pictures of his family, my family, animals, animals, animals. And, you know, why not? We should have the picture of the four of us. You know, maybe even bring chicken in with Alfie. I would bring fish in, which is Penny's special toy that she has. You know, Alfie's very, very, very attached with chicken. Um, Penny has latched on to fish in ways that would be better behind a paywall. And so that, that might be a little dangerous. But anyway, um, so yeah, I, I think we should start a write-in campaign and see if we can get this happening. I'm sure he'll uh, put up our address somewhere so that you can send that in or you can email us you know, drop in some comments in the show notes and stuff like that. Um, and if anybody hasn't been paying attention, I do edit a magazine, Fan Activity Gazette, for the National Fantasy f uh, Fan Fantasy Fan. Oh, I, you know, I should really know this, but uh, he and uh, helps if I use the right. Cursor. The Fantasy Fan Federation. Um, we're getting ready to put out the third issue. And for anybody who sits and listens and loves anything, you know, shoot an email. I've been looking for people to write in and talk about what fandom they are fans of. And it, it doesn't have to be a specific thing. It can also be a broader, you know, I just happen to be a fan of horror. Why? You know, how'd you get into it? Why did you stick with it? Opinions, things like that. We'd love to put you in there. So, yeah, if you want to, shoot something to us so that we can do that. And uh, I, I, I believe... I'll Mr. tell you what I am not a fan of. What are you not a fan of? I am not a fan of little office dogs leaving us presents at the bottom of the stairs. I tell you. I don't know if it was junior office dog or if it was guest office dog, but you get to clean it up. I'm going right. to probably guess it's guest office dog just because guest office dog, we're still, we're trying to learn a little bit on her. Uh. All right, guys. So write in so that we can put you in the Gazette and let's start that writing campaign. Anyway, all right, so let's do that. Let's copy that. Let's put that there. See, one of the things that I can do 
with this new chat widget tool is I can I can do this and I can put that in there and it can go everywhere all at once. Look at that. Look at that. I'm this this is talent. This is talent. Which pitch did you miss, Cam? Of course, these stupid little emoji emoticon things that YouTube puts on there means that I can't actually get to the message to pin it. <sighs> anyway. Oh, boss, wait, boss lady, boss lady spilled the beans that I sleep in a Star Trek onesie? <laughs> no, I don't think so. But he does have Dr. Pepper pajama bottoms and a Dr. Pepper shirt. And I do have a picture of him in those drinking Dr. Pepper. Do we want to talk the D&D movie? Hey, this is your hour. We can talk about whatever you want to talk about. So uh, join the call. And Make me look good. Uh, what I was saying for the Gazette is I'm looking for people who want to write in and talk about what fandom they are a fan of. And it doesn't have to be anything specific. If you don't want to, I mean, it can be something very like, I am a fan of Firefly. Or it could be, I'm just a fan of anything that has a dragon in it. Well, it could be, what makes you a fan? <clears throat> or it could be, what makes you a fan? But, you know, what got you into that? Why did you stick around? What, I mean, what was it that made you stick around? And, I mean, we'd love to hear your stories because it is the Fan Activity Gazette. And you never know, you might set someone else off to love the same thing you do. And you may find your new obsession, too. Snob, Snob says, I'm a fan of me. <laughs> right in. All right. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, and you can find uh, previous uh, previous editions. TNFFF.org is, uh, is the link to that. So you can see all of those fanzines. So, all right. So, Cam's uh, joining us now. Welcome, sir. You saw the D&D movie for the first time. Yes. And it was okay. Um, yeah, I sat down uh, and um, after our, the discussion the other day and, and said, well, okay, maybe I'll watch it. Um, it wasn't bad. It, you know, it was uh, it was silly <laughs> in a lot of ways. That, <laughs> yeah. That's kind of the thing I came across uh, away with most. Um, I think it was MS in, on the Discord talking, he, which he enjoyed it a lot. And mentioned about uh, it being for kids in relation to contrasting it with Disney, and I think that's that's largely true. There is some swearing in it, um, but it's not um, not really, you know, very adult. Um, and I mean that in the dark way. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's so it's pretty kid friendly, I think. Um, yeah. Uh, Sci-Fi Snap says it's not silly; it's fun for him. So, yeah, I mean, you were, I can see that you were talking about because uh, because you had mentioned in the in the discord, by the way, we have a discord uh, and I'm sure if Death Angel Shadow is still around, he can put the link in there. But you mentioned uh, you made a distinction that this movie would probably be enjoyed more by fans of fifth edition than classic D&D because of some of the elements that are in there. Were there, were there some things in this thing that you looked at it and you went, eh, not so much? Yeah, I, I think it, it – I mean, it, it has elements throughout. You know, there, I mean, I was looking at things like, oh, it's that spell, it's that spell. You know, so there, certainly old school people will f find things familiar. Mm. Um, but it is very much, in, in my opinion, rooted in current 5e D&D &D kind of mindset, uh, appearance – uh, and general feel. 
um, I was I was live blogging in the Discord about you know things I hated, and you know they hit you right off the bat with Forgotten Realms stuff, which I I understand a lot of people are fans of it. I personally cannot stand it, and so I was just like gritting my teeth to get through that. And it, it is, I mean, it's that's where the setting is, yeah. and and you know it, it continued throughout, but eh, I got over it, <laughs> and um, and just tried to enjoy it. Um, there are, you know, there are some elements of it that, that were pretty neat. There was one, I don't want to spoil anything, but there was a chase scene um, involving the druid character that I thought was really neat. Um, and, and you know, the, the camera work and everything, I mean, most, mostly special effects, of course, but, yeah. you know, the, the filming, uh, I guess, uh, of, of the scene was, or how they put it together, at least, was really neat. Um, uh, and, 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 and just generally... As an adventure film, you know, it, it flowed well. I, I wasn't sitting there looking at my watch or anything, you know. I mean, so as a movie, it not bad, you know. Um, but if you're – again, if it, it really depends on where you fall in, in the D&D fandom, if yeah. indeed you are a D&D fan, as to what you will like and not like, I think. So funny story, and, and Mrs. Boss has left the studio, so I can now talk out of turn here. We, we <laughs> sat down – for the first time to watch Alien, uh, the first one. And it, it was her first time seeing it. And we sat and we watched the whole thing. And we actually managed to get through it, and she didn't interrupt with a bunch of questions, which is great. <laughs> and at the end, you know, movie's done, it's over, and I look at her and say, what you think? And she says, it's not bad. I'm <laughs> like, that's that's all you've got is not bad. So that's become the running gag. One of the greatest uh, sci-fi horrors of all time. I know, right? It's like, yeah, it's not bad. So whenever she whenever she enjoys something uh, uh, quite a bit, you know, that's her that's her go-to is oh, it's not bad. You know, she mm-hmm. she'll give me a hard time about that. But and it's funny to hear you say it's not bad. But you actually mean it. It's not bad, right? Yeah. And now you know I have some some complaints uh as well you know detail you know just preference things sure uh the and i don't want to bash any of the performers because i don't know what they were asked to do or not do but i you know i didn't i didn't really warm up to most of the characters chris pine's character was was probably the most likable i think and i like the paladin character um who was (laughs) kind of you know almost a a caricature yeah um but i did like i enjoyed that and, but the 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 young lady playing the druid, I you know, it was very flat. I mean, the the perform. I mean, again, she might have been asked to do that, so I'm not bashing her skill. But it, you know, she just had this blank look on her face the whole time, and these deadpan, you know. Uh, Are you talking about the tiefling? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right. Um, I mean, I was just like, oh my god, is a is she's a wet blanket on the screen, you know? And then. Um, uh, the sorcerer, um, but that was Will Smith's kid, right? I don't think it was. No. Okay. Well, whoever, uh, the sorcerer, uh, uh, you know, again, all of it was a little too jokey for me. Uh, just personal preference. You mm-hmm. know, I don't like silly fantasy necessarily. And I know sci-fi is not as going to say fun, um, but uh, <laughs> it, you know, it just wasn't to my taste, but it might be to someone else. So yeah. it, I, 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 you know, clearly that's what they were going for. I did laugh at times, you know, there were things I was like, ah, it's kind of funny, you know, uh, um, 
but there is one there was one thing when they were you know part of the you know it's a heist movie so i won't be spoiling anything by saying you know heist but there was one part where they're doing this thing with the mirror i don't know if you remember that and the mm-hmm. vault yeah yeah <laughs> and, and i mean this it, it was it just struck me it's like I've lived this playing D and D. You know this ridiculous, you know, uh, clockwork scheme to do this. So you could do this. So you could do this kind of thing. So I was kind of amused by that. Um, you know, so I, I I can't say I didn't have a good time watching it. Um, yeah. But you know, I'm not gonna. I, I doubt I'm gonna see it again. I, you know, it's not gonna be high on my list of best movies ever. But it was it was a fun time. Yeah, and that's Justice Smith as Simon the Sorcerer, but he is not related to Will that I can determine here. Okay, so. I was just... Uh, I was he, has, making... he is a smith, he's just not that smith. Okay. Was he... Was that was, was that kid also... I say kid, he's probably a man, a full-grown man, but is he also in the um, in the Pokemon movie? Is that the same? I'm not sure. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Because maybe. Uh, the guy playing the Paladin, Rene uh, Jean Page, he's from... Um, what's that period piece Victorian era thing over it. It's not crap. I've just gone blank on whatever it was. It's not it's not that one. It's the other one. Um, English production thing. Mm, I'm not sure. Um, I don't remember now. Anyway. He, that, he, was, he was the breakout star of that one. Um. Oh, that's gonna bug me now. I'm gonna have to look it up now. But uh, I thought it was. I thought it was a fun movie. And and going into it, uh, I know some people had lower expectations because of the interviews that were going on at the time. Mm-hmm. And you know, oh, it's yeah. Because I know Culture Casino and a number of other people have said it's woke and it does this and it, it emasculates Chris Pine's character. And I didn't see that it did that. Um, no, I because the I, marketing know, I, the marketing was different than what the movie and this is this is where you get into um, the problem with marketing movies using deception because mm-hmm. you know hey we're going to tell you it's this and it's actually really not right and you know again I I'm not into the woke nonsense stuff yeah. at all you know but. I, I think that there is a tendency amongst certain people who like a lot of clickbait stuff specifically to to just say everything is is that when yeah. it really isn't. You know, it's like, oh, girl boss character. Well, sometimes there's girl characters, ladies, that are they're just good. I mean, you know, it, it's it, not everything falls into that. Yeah. You know, and if you if you start, you know, if you got a hammer, everything looks like a nail kind of thing. Sure. Well, um, and I think, and I've talked about it before we quit. I, I, I've mentioned before, there is a real danger that people on our side, quote unquote, have of this knee jerk reaction. It's almost like we've been conditioned to assume something is woke identity politics or what, you know, whatever descriptors you want to put on there, detractors you want to use because we see something or mm-hmm. somebody says something, or there's an interview that has this piece in it or this kind of character. And we make the, it is so easy to make the leap. Uh, Ms. Marvel is a good example of that. We talked about this, you know, the series on Disney plus it's not woke. 
I mean, you've got kind of a girl boss character in the in the beginning with 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 Ms. Marble, but she's not a Mary Sue. She, you know, none of none of it is easy for her. Mm-hmm. You know, she you know she has this hero's journey thing. There's a little hero worship there with her and 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 Carol Danvers and all this, but it actually tells a fun and it's. It, family is at the center of this story. And there were a lot of people who sat there and said, I'm not even going to give it a chance because it's going to be woke. And it's not woke. Sure. Not in the sense that everybody assumes, you know, you know, Brie Larson coming in saying, this is not for you, white men. Yeah, it's not like that. Yeah. But and, it's and, so easy for us to make those those assumptions. By the way, it was right. Bridgerton that he's he's a part of. Uh, Reggae Jean Page in okay. Bridgerton. Yeah, he was good in the indie movie. He was, was, uh, you know, a a fun character. It's it's funny because, you know, in in role-playing – Paladins, it's like, oh, you know, stick up the butt paladin, da-da-da-da-da. And and the the thing is he was that, you know, to some degree because, you know, that's prototypical character paladin. But it was also a fun character to watch. Um, So I think that was was really done well. What you were saying about the, the, you know, hair trigger on the woke stuff – um, I, 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 I understand and agree. And, you know, there's the theory that you've talked about a lot of, you know, if something's good, you have to say it's good or else there's no way that they're going to get the feedback to say, yeah, that's what we want. Yeah. At the, at the same time. Oh, okay. Hold yeah, on. We're bringing, <laughs> well, we're bringing in, in sci-fi style. Go ahead and finish the thought. Right? Yeah. At, at the same time, I, I, I still don't want to support these companies like Disney, for example, who I know they don't have good motivations. They've, they've told yeah. me this. So I'm not going to cut them any slack, uh, even though they might put out something that's decent once in a while. I- I'm still not interested from them in- until they show me they've turned the corner. Yeah. Well, and I can totally understand that. And I can sympathize, too, because there are some things I'm sitting there going, you know, I just don't have I still haven't seen Secret Wars or Secret Invasion or whatever it is. The the, the thing is the show that they did. I'm like, well. Yeah, maybe I should sit and watch it just so I know what's going on because we cover it. But since we quit, we're not covering it. So it's so like I don't really feel compelled to to do a whole lot here. I still haven't seen Barbie. Um, right. You know, I don't I, I watched Oppenheimer. I thought Oppenheimer was really good. Uh, and, and, you know, there's some things I want to see creator with, you know, the, the new one from Gareth Edwards. But at the same time, I don't. I don't want to be bothered to get out. You know, I don't, I, I'm, I'm perfectly fine within my walls because I can control what's in my walls. I get out there. I have to deal with people. And that's a, that's an issue for me sometimes. I don't know. Sci-Fi's Knob is joining us as well. How are you, sir? Hello. Um, I hope, hopefully things will uh, work out. I've been having some trouble with my uh, internet access a little bit. Uh, down a bit so hopefully you guys can hear me and yeah I won't, yeah uh, you sound fine i won't cut out or anything um yeah i i i wanted to comment on some of what you're saying um and not to disagree with anything uh but uh, I'll, I'll go back to that woke thing and um you know i i didn't find the movie you know very woke at all you know i would have trouble finding stuff but i would mention something like now i mean this stuff seeps in everywhere like let's look at the let's look at the main characters right you've got two guys and two girls right correct me if i'm wrong so if you wanted to let's say you wanted to all right well we want to have two male and two female characters to get the most um you know the most uh you know 
diverse gender diversity as we can right so we've got and we've got these four we've got four uh, two males two females we've got four characters that we want to play so which you know which you know who are you going to put with who it's just sort of interesting that you know the female is going to be the barbarian when i think of a barbarian i think of a character like arnold schwarzenegger yeah that, that right. type of guy so you know and and then you've got a, a you know a male thief and a male magician and then the the druid and the and the barbarian so you know we say it's not woke but yet they still seem to pick and hey it's great it's great to you know change it up a little bit and have a girl you know if it was the 70s and they had the girl barbarian and she was tough people would go wow that's really you know wow that's different and uh, unusual to do i mean but now it's just sort of you know boring and, and kind of what do you expect yeah yeah so i mean why why not make the male characters masculine and the female characters you know they've got one you know one female character that is you know it's fine i mean you said she was a little flat i felt she was a little flat too in her, her acting um but they pick you know why not get an Arnold Schwarzenegger type uh, guy, uh, uh, John Cena, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, and make them the barbarian and then have the female character as a magician or a thief that would fit more in with the with the typical, you know, stereotype that you'd expect people to, you know, yeah. strength-wise, right? If you if you do that, does it, do, do you run the risk of sliding too far into parody at that point because let's say we get the rock to play the barbarian it almost sets up that you're making fun of schwarzenegger's conan at that point well no if I it's mean, not done right i mean that's that's the thing it's all in the execution sure and i'm not saying i'm i don't even i don't even really care i'm just saying yeah. that um they're like you know it's interesting how they make these choices right where stereotypical stereotypically men are you know so much more stronger than women mm -hmm. you know average man versus the average woman and yet they make this choice and uh, like i said it's 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 kind of a boring choice at this point because it's been done to death over the past 20 years but they're still <laughs> making that choice right well um, and, and to read you know it, it there's a very real possibility that maybe the pendulum is starting to swing back because that article that we had at the top at the top of the show about paramount plus looking for programming that's not just for new york and la you know the populist audience that tells me that to me is a pretty strong signal that Hollywood has figured, I mean, look how long it took them to, to resolve the writer strike and how many projects have been canceled, just done, gone. Who knows how many of those were going to be of, of the same kind of stories like we've been getting since 2016 Ghostbusters, where it's all, you know, all about the, the, the strong female character. And yeah. now we're now I think we're starting to get a little bit of a swing back to center. Hopefully, I mean I don't we'll see, but I think I think there's a good a good possibility that we're starting to see signals, at least on that front. Oh, maybe um, maybe. Let me ask a here. Let me ask a question. When was the last time? you saw, and I'm thinking more of like network television type stuff. Remember, what was the last time you saw a competent male father figure that wasn't a goof and a joke in network this, television? Uh, actually, this morning, Fraser. Fraser? Yeah. 
Fra- Frazier's Frazier's back, and and he he's not a doofus. Okay, I haven't seen that. So well, it's okay. brand new. It's brand new. It's brand new. Okay, yeah. so other than let's you know take that one out, which just magically appeared. Yeah. Like I can name you off, you know, tons of, uh, speci- you know, specifically comedy shows where the man is basically, uh, yeah, you know, a doofus. Well, all and of Disney, I, all all of the Disney Channel stuff in the '90s was like that. I mean, the Sweet Life of Zack and Cody, Kim Possible, uh, you know, all of the all of the stuff that was on the programs at that point was all you know. Dad's a doofus, or Dad's not even there. Um, yeah, I know. think I'd have to go back to something like maybe the Cosby Show. Yeah, where the last like in the eighties, like you know, if you look at more recent, like the you know King of Queens, Homer Simpson, um, Peter Griffin. Um, yeah, you're right. It's it's an extremely tired trope at this point. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, the la- other than you know the Cosby Show, I'd probably have to go back to something like you know the sixties. Um, well, the Brady Bunch. Know, uh, the Brady Bunch, in or um, I'm thinking of. Was it, was it called Father Knows Best? I mean, that's, mm-hmm. you know, we're getting back to black. Well, that was the 50s. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's just, you know, um, men have been, you know, uh, been put down in popular culture in many ways over the last 50 plus years. And uh, we don't even, you know, sometimes I don't think we don't even see it anymore. Well, yeah, because they're. I think you're right. It's 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 very rare. There's, first of all, I I don't mind seeing you know the hapless father, you know the goofball, whatever, uh, for or or for anyone to be honest with you, it's when that's all there is. It's it's yeah. like mm-hmm. you know it's it's just so tiresome after a while. You know? And they're all presented as as you know um, you know stupid and useless, right? Like there's no, you know, they're always hapless, you know, and yeah. and, and they're you know you see them. I mean, the show centers around the family. So, and, and, you know, maybe some fathers are hapless around the family. You know, perhaps that's true. I, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think that's, that's true anymore. You know, men, you know, since the fifties, men and men have, men have been doing more, you know, 50, 50, that's been pushed for the last 30, 40 years. We're, you know, we're doing half of everything. Uh, you know, well, and, and to hear, to hear Mrs. Boss every now and again, she will remind me that according to the state of Missouri, everything here, half half of everything here is hers. So that 50-50 thing, you know, goes, applies to everything. Oh. Like I, you know, I, I changed diapers for my children. I did, you know, yeah. all kinds of stuff around the house. My wife still brags about how she, um, she used to, uh, she'd go and she'd check the kids and give them a sniff. <laughs> and then she would go, you know, she'd walk away or something and she'd yeah. go, Oh, Hey, can you check the, uh, uh-huh. you know, the kids and see if the, and every time I would get, you know, set the big up surprise. Yeah. Uh, JD says oh. John Candy's uncle Buck had a good male role. And you also had, uh, Reginald Vell Johnson's, uh, dad in family matters. Uh, the, the, Ur- the Urkel show. Right. Hmm. Uh, uncle Buck's an interesting choice. Cause the, the basis yeah. of it is that he was a goofball, and, yeah. but in the end, he 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 did you know prove himself worthy of yeah. that fatherly role. And, yeah, I mean um, he's he's still a goofball, but he's got the main you know he protects yeah. the kids. He's looking after their best interests. He's doing what a father you know. And let's not forget Uncle Phil. 
on right. on uh, on Fresh, Fresh Prince. Prince. Fresh Prince. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Interesting that a lot of those a lot of those father figures from television in the nineties were the black fathers. You know, and it's like, yeah, we've just hang we've on, just named all black didn't, fathers. Yeah, didn't didn't we? Are, where where have we lost the plot here? Because so many people are talking, oh, well, there's there's no diversity, no diversity. It's like, hang on, yeah, we've had all of this, all of this time, and and I'm the older I get, and the more I look at it, the more I think about it, the more convinced I am that post two thousand. Eight, when a certain particular person was elected president, race relations have been in decline, and I think by design, because prior to that, we were all kind of sort of getting along a little bit better. I mean, not to get too too deep in the weeds on politics, but, you know, race relations were not as bad as they are now. Can't have that. And, you know, Hollywood was telling us stories with, you know, lots of different types of characters. Yeah. No, I, I would agree that, uh, you know, that election of Barack Obama, it seems to there seems to be a, you know, a uh, decline in race relations in the United States since then. Yeah. And I mean, you I mean, you can look at it where, uh, you know, there was a couple of incidents where there was the, uh, you know, early in his presidency. I mean, you could I mean, blame him or don't blame him, your choice. But early in his pres- presidency, there was a couple of incidents where, you know, uh, where it was immediately uh, there was that professor from Harvard where the police officer right. you know, went to his home and was asking questions and stuff like that. And he immediately came up and said, Oh, you know, it's another white police officer doing something bad, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, you know, when the truth came out, it was nothing, nothing of the sort, right. Right. That the, the police officer had been very, you know, respectful and uh, everything. And, and it was, you know, the situation was exaggerated and was used for, you know, to score funny how political the, points in the in black white relations yeah, in America. It's, it's funny how the media contributes to that, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, he contributed to it. He came up and oh, said sure. it's yeah, just he horrible did. what this guy did. I mean, yeah, but they latched onto it. that and ran with it and and they've never looked back. Well, you know. Yeah, he I, is the president. He said it, so I mean, they're going to cover it. Yeah. Right? So I recall that he said that the police officers had acted stupidly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I don't. I don't that. remember the details. I don't. I'd have to look it up. But I just know that yeah, he basically mm-hmm. set the he set the narrative, which was not, you know, it turned out to be completely wrong. So, Cam, let me take you back to the D and D thing. If they if they were to do a sequel, and I don't think they will, they should, but they won't. If they did a sequel, would you watch it? Uh, I, I wouldn't pay for it because, uh, again, uh, Watsy is uh, deserving of a thrashing uh, financially, that is. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it they, they really need to, to reset themselves. Um, if it was on Amazon again, yeah, I might, I'd probably watch it. Would you watch a D&D sequel with the original kids from the cartoon? Because they show oh. up. Oh, yeah, I, I would be. I mean, if they were to do something serious, it's like, yeah, we're, we're you know, we're going to do this, you know, and bring that story to a close or whatever they wanted to do with it. I, I would definitely want to see that. Even though, you know, even if it puts a little bit of money in Watsy's pocket. Yeah. What can, what can Hasbro do at this point, do you think, to fix things with regard to Watsy? Is that is that done? Is that ship well, sailed? They can't. 
stop doing damage would be the first thing. I mean, you know, we <laughs> talked the other day about the, the druids and all this uh, yeah. stuff. It's like, s- just stop with the non, you know, the never ending virtue signaling. It, it's, I, I don't even, I mean, do the people who lap that stuff up ever get filled? Uh, so, well, you've pushed my hot button now, but, <laughs> uh, you know, s- stop messing around with that. Stop uh, insulting uh, people like uh, Gary Gygax uh, with f- f- fake accusations. You know, again, he's not a perfect guy by any stretch of the imagination, right. but they can't even stick to the facts. Um, you know, stop. Well, there's someone that wrote a really nice article on a lot of these issues for Sci-Fi for Me TV. Um or sci-fi for me.com where you can read about a lot of that. But um, you know, I, I, all those points remain valid. Um, They're, they're, they're taking a a really valuable IP more valuable than ever maybe. And and so they would be saying, well, who cares? It's valuable. So, but, but it's not going to last forever. You know, these things come and go and um, I'm not sure that they're uh, on the rise at this point. Um, and maybe they need to feel some pain uh, to do it. But I, I, I'm sorry, I'm not answering your question very well. Get no, back to making a game instead of uh, playing political games. No, you know, a, a, a role-playing game. Is is this uh, is this something where um, the IP farm, you know, that whole that whole thing about this being, you know, we see it with comic books, with comic book movies. Where the source material is not as important as the stuff, what comes out of it. So, so in terms of like the Marvel stuff, where the Marvel movies and the Marvel TV shows, that all takes all of the time and the attention and the money. And there's mm-hmm. not a whole lot of time spent on quality control of the craft in the comic book side of things, which is where it all started. Sure. Are, are we in the same kind of situation with D&D where we're, we're looking for so many different ways to exploit it, we've forgotten what makes it good? Yes. In terms of the paper, actual game that people sit around a table and play, it, again, that article really hit on some of these topics. But it, it, that is secondary. It is, there is n- no doubt that that traditional game is secondary to them. They, and they don't really care what happens to it. They've got their monetization plans. Um, and it doesn't matter if people are thumbing through books and, and playing around a table anymore. They, I, I think they literally just don't care that that said, it remains to be seen whether that will succeed for them or not. I think it has a decent chance that, that they can successfully blow that off, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. No. Yeah. What, how, how would you go in and fix it? If, if I was in charge of Hasbro, for example, yeah. I'd fire everybody that worked there. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, right off the bat, if you want to reapply for your job, go ahead. But I would fire everyone. I would wind, I, again, and this is all fraught with, with problems. I would wind down fifth edition uh, and, uh, because it is so poisoned. They're, the as an old school player i can't separate uh the community from the game at this point it's the the game which you know it's not even that bad of a game it's it's a viable game fifth edition but they are they have poisoned it so much with their pandering and virtue signaling and just utter nonsense um that i don't see how you can attract a broad audience again you're stuck with that audience yeah uh, and and 
that sounds great while they're rabid and excited about it, but they're going to find something else uh, sooner or later. Um, so I'd, I'd start with the clean, uh, clean sheet myself. That said, how many of, how many of me are there? You know, how, how many more decades of, of customer uh, life are left in people like me? Maybe not that many. Um, but I, I don't think it's, it's going to degenerate into something that's not D and D. And oddly enough, I had a long set of musings on this on Twitter this morning about this very subject that I think <clears throat> what, what it is really doesn't deserve to be called Dungeons and Dragons. When you openly spit on the creators and, 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 and the, uh, the culture that this came from, mm-hmm. it, you, you can't really claim that anymore. I understand they have all the legal rights to it and everything else in the name, but in spirit, this isn't D and D anymore. It just it just isn't. Yeah. Is there another one out there that could be the next D and D, the next RPG sensation? Hmm. You guys, are I, you guys seeing any movement on that? It, that's a tough question because there's just so many. I mean, there's there's a ton of great games out there. So it's not that on on the merits of of the game itself, but there there are so many, and I just don't know if it can happen again. Yeah. It did happen with Pathfinder First Edition. Uh, Watsy screwed up so bad that that they basically lost their market share to a third party company uh, who who carried the torch for what D and D is for a number of years. Um, could that happen again? Yeah, but I, I think they've sufficiently recovered from the OGL debacle, um, where they're not going to lose that that position um, at this point. But that, you know, who knows? Road Vagabond Live, you're going to get me in trouble here. It says, Hasbro should come out with girl dice with no numbers on them. Just believe all women when they tell you what they rolled. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, funny. That, could, that, sounds that, like could... a great, that sounds like a great product right? that you could just make and you could just put that in. A, mm-hmm. You could get it in all the game stores. Call it girl did dice you guys, make did you guys see? Did you guys see the promo for the new South Park? Now I don't watch South Park. Uh, yes, yes, I saw it, it dropped in today, and I thought, yeah, oh, I saw it yesterday. This is was it yesterday? Okay, so I saw it yesterday. This is a yeah. this is a brilliant idea, and I don't know how they're getting what, away with it. What's it called? It's called South Park. Uh, what's the subtitle? Was, was it jur- jur- um, Journey to Enter the Pandering, or or so, it has something to do yeah. with with the pan the pandering. Anyway. Yeah, um, there. yeah, and it's it looks. And they've they've ch- they've changed the sex of all the uh, characters except Stan, yeah. right? I don't know, except but Stan. Cartman, Cartman the Cartman. the ginger, is now a a a, a, a black woman. So yeah, it's Kenny it's, is this uh, Kenny is this sort of emo girl. Yeah, and actually, it's kind of funny because Kenny kind of looks a little bit like Sabine Wren. Oh, does he? Yeah, uh, let's see if I can yeah. pull this thing up. Here Enter the pandering or something. Enter the pandering or something yeah, like that. Something. Yeah, that. Yeah, yeah I saw be that the other day. Those, those guys are, those guys are just savage. They don't take any. See, crap. And I don't know. I don't know how, everybody. how they could be uh, able to get away with this. They own everything, and they can do whatever they want. They, uh, they haven't like, look, look. Like, you know, it's uh, called Rick and Morty, right? South Park joining the Panderverse is the official the title. Panderverse. So, 
like Rick and Morty, they those guys sold out, sold their stuff to the network, right? So that's how come they could get fired. Yeah. Right? But the but the South Park guys, they've never sold their stuff, so they just license it. You know, they just say, Hey, we're gonna make things and if you want to buy our show or not, don't. Yeah. Or do it. We're gonna do what we want. And uh that's it. And there it so, is. So um yeah, it's... so they, they, they have complete creative control, I think. They're just so oh so oh I saw I thought I saw Stan was not changed. I thought one of them wasn't changed, but I guess they all are changed. Yep. Must be they must flip back and forth or something. Is is Paramount Plus that's where they've got the new Be- Beavis and Butthead is on Paramount Plus now too, right? Is that is that where they are? Are they do you oh, know? I don't I don't know that. I don't know. I never liked those guys. I was a little bit I don't know when, why I was thinking that it out. was. Because see, because that that kind of goes along with what we were talking about at the top of the show. Paramount is Paramount the ones that are actually leading the the revival of normal stuff. Yeah, it is on Paramount Plus. Hmm. I, I don't know if you can say. It. I think. Like South Park is kind of a special case because, like I said, they've always done whatever they wanted, yeah. and they hadn't given a crap about whatever anybody says. And they just—it's like they come to the networks and say, "Hey, you know, buy it or don't buy it. I don't care. Someone else will buy it if you don't want it because we're we, we're that good." So I don't know that. Uh, you know, maybe maybe they are, but I think if you saw it other places, then that might be a little bit more of a stronger indicator. Well, if Paramount is is willing to go on the record to say we need to be making stuff for flyover country, maybe that opens the door so other people can say because there's always got to be that first one, right? There's always got to be that first person to go out there and take the arrows and say we sh- really should start thinking about this other stuff, and then somebody so else can come out now and say, you know what? You're yeah, saying Paramount's the first one to maybe, maybe. Uh, yeah it could be i mean because it's, the it's fir- just... this is the first interview because they're actually making it the entire article is about we need to be making stuff that appeals to the masses well, when, like it's a novel idea or something like, we've been we've been trying to get you to do this for the last 10 Five years years well, didn't Zaslav kind of start that trend? Zaslav started a little bit, but you know he's gotten such pushback and blowback, and and you're you're evil, evil Zaslav the butcher. You know, I mean, maybe every, maybe that kind of got lost in the mix. Every Marvel movie does worse than the last one. Every yeah. Star Wars movie does worse than the last one. I mean, Star Trek has been on that same. There hasn't been a Star Trek movie in a while, but you know. They're not doing as well either. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, what do they, you know, how much more information do they need? I mean, you know, all you of our make... popular entertainment has been following the same trajectory for, since, since at least 2015, 2016, Downward, if not sooner. Yeah. And it's, and it's all, yeah, you're right. It's, it's a spiral, it's a death spiral. And I the, mean, the strikes, them... maybe the strikes are this opportunity. Maybe all these executives are sitting there going, how do we get out of this? How do we get out of this? And then here comes the strikes and, oh, hey, here's our, Here's our ex, here's our escape hatch. How come it took them eight years to you know figure it out? I mean, are they just figuring it out 
or or they figured it out a long time ago, but they're just so powerless that they can't do anything about it. I think it's a I mix. Mean, I think I think some of it is you've got some executives probably who are well, like you know, you look what happened to Bob Chapek. You know, he got he got caught up in the middle here between Scylla and Charybdis with regard to the whole DEI thing and the political pressure that comes from that and and the social media pressure that comes from that and the money, the financial pressure. But this kind of follows what how, how many how many weeks ago, how many months ago where we had that guy, the guy who's in charge of BlackRock finally acknowledging that maybe they need to do something different because DEI doesn't work. And they find when they finally acknowledge that, of course, you know, everybody's moving on to whatever this next thing is, the next iteration of it. But the DEI damage has been done. But now you've got all of these all of these DEI executives who are now either being fired or they're or they're or they're quitting because it doesn't sell. And now we're able to finally acknowledge that it doesn't sell, and the strikes give us a chance to cancel everything that doesn't sell, and we start all over from scratch. I mean, I mean, you you've put this theory out before. You know, time will tell. I mean, yeah. they you know the the bottom line is they need to make money. Right. Yes. Otherwise, you have to make money or you're not going to exist. Your company will will die and you either, you know, adjust and make money or you go the way that you die. Someone yeah. else will take the thing. And, and you know, we've already mentioned a couple of them, like with Pathfinder almost, you know, taking over um, all that sort of thing. There's a there was a story about uh, McDonald's. I can't I, I can't remember. If, I think it was the 90s. But if you guys remember McDonald's, they uh they used to have like they their menu kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger right and they were um, they were in they they course corrected but they figured it out before they collapsed they uh, they decided hey you know we made our money making hamburgers that's what we're a hamburger company that's what we made we're we are now you know we've got we have pizza this is you know I don't have any more they have pizza we got salads we got this we got that you know we are now at risk at someone coming in and saying hey guess what we make good hamburgers and just start making hamburgers yeah. beat them at their own game, so to speak, because now they've come diversified. So, I mean, you know, uh, that's what, what do we want from our entertainment? We want to be entertained, you know, whether it's books, movies, comic books, yep. whatever. We don't want to be preached to. We want to escape our lives and we want to be entertained, not not preached to or virtue signal to. Well, and, and I'll I tell you, they can't get that. if anybody wants to send us money, I'll I'll take it. We've got we've got this here uh, as a possible. I don't know if this is what we're going to do yet or not, but here's the mock-up for the print magazine. Um, one of these days, maybe we'll do something like that. But if anybody wants to send us money, I'm perfectly fine with that. So you know, we've got we've got a mailing address. We've got a. You know, super chats or all of that, rumble rants or whatnot. So, just throwing that out there. I just, you know, thought I'd share. You post your Venmo up there. We don't have Venmo. We got rid of Venmo. Oh, we got rid of Venmo. We got rid of PayPal. Oh, isn't that what the kids use nowadays? Venmo. Uh, it. Yeah, but you have to be politically correct in order to use certain things. So, we we decided not to do business with them for reasons. Anyway, all right. What else so, we got to talk about? I was just gonna. 
I was just going to sum up and say that with that and say, so I guess, you know, only time will tell whether, yeah. the, you know, I mean, I don't know. I don't know why they're being so cagey about it. You're, you're right about Paramount. And come, come and say, hey, we, someone should just come out and say, hey, last five years plus people have been making crappy entertainment and we can see it because our revenues are way down. Uh, you know, we're only going to make stuff that people like from now on. Well, Quentin Tarantino uh, did that interview that he did a while back, basically saying that most of what Hollywood's been making has been junk because of politics. But he's Quentin yeah. Tarantino. He's 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 an outlier. Yeah, he can do. He's another one of those guys who can do whatever he wants because people will buy whatever he. Yeah. But you know, he's good, right? Like it'll be, it will be of interest to a large amount of people, whether you say he's good or not. I mean, it'll be interesting to a large amount of people. People will come and watch it no matter what he does. So, Do you think his last film is going to be his last film? This one that, Which, is, this one that is coming out, he says, is this his final film? Do, well, you, think, I do you think I he's done? Do you think he's finished? He probably can quit, right? He's got enough money, right? How much money do you need? But, right. uh, you know, it's kind of... Some of these guys, you know, they're really creative, eh? and they can't stop, right? That's the that's what, uh, you know, um, the difference between an amateur writer and a professional writer is a professional writer has to write. They can't not write. Yeah. Because they have stuff they have to get out. Yeah, I so. suppose that it's a certain particular creative type that sometimes, you know, wants to quit and sometimes ends up not quite being able to quit and and that factors in. I wouldn't know anything about that, but um Me neither. that that does kind of play into things a little bit sometimes. Like look, it's Spielberg still makes movies. What does he need to keep making movies for? I think Spielberg's getting ready to retire. I think yeah, uh, yeah. I think he's getting done. And you know, he's what, 70, 72, somewhere he's, in there. He's he's, he's getting he's there. well past retirement age, I mean. What? Wasn't there something Wasn't there something that Spielberg just sold off of like a piece of something he owned? Uh, I want to say that there was something, but I can't remember what it was. Neither can I. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, Spielberg's getting ready to be done. Scorsese can't have too many more years in him. Coppola, all all of them, you know, Cameron, Lucas. Is Brian De Palma still doing stuff? But the point being that they're still they're way past the regular retirement age for, yeah. you know, they're in the you know seventies and stuff. Most people, you know, late fifties, sixty people retire. Yeah. A little bit later nowadays, but you know those are guys who love what they're doing, obviously, right? And they 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 almost have to do it, right? Yeah, I wouldn't know anything about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, if if anyway. I could just one last comment. Yeah, I, I think um, you know in regards to all these things we're talking about, it seems to me there's a little hint of reality, and uh, the the winds of change pointing towards reality on <laughs> on the horizon here. Yeah. Um, you know, like, again, you know, these companies that think they could ignore customers forever. It's like, eh, I think that might be coming around a bit. I think it's not just our entertainment media either. I think I think yeah. there's a reckoning that's that's coming pretty, pretty fast on the horizon for a number of things culturally. Mm -hmm. And the next 
the next six to eight months are going to be very, very interesting, I think. I'm I mean, sure. have your bingo cards ready, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, incidentally, the Iger bingo card, remember, <laughs> I don't know if you remember, mine was that Iger wouldn't finish out his term. I, I think I'm not going to make it to the two year. I, um, you know, I think you're right. I think because there was an article, what was it yesterday or the day before? Was it Deadline or Variety? It was talking about how Iger is feeling overwhelmed and tired and under pressure yeah. because of all this. It's like, well, yeah. I mean, you kind of did it to yourself, Bob. All right. But yeah. I thought that was dead with the new extension. But it's like, ah, I still got a little bit of hope there. I could, I could make that one. It could be. It could be. Uh, and if. If the if the theory about the FTX connection is valid, and I'm not saying it is, but if it is, Iger could be done a lot sooner than anybody's expected. Mm-hmm. Who knows how that's going to go? Because you know you still have the Hulu thing, you still have Nelson Peltz that's out there ready to pounce, and this time it's not just let's put Nelson on the board; it's let's put a number of new people on the board. So that could be a fight that will be worth the popcorn. Yeah, so better buckle up. It is. It is. All right. I do want to remind everybody that we are currently uh, working on the October. Is it October, November? We're pushing. We're putting out October. Uh, the October issue of the Fan Activity Gazette. Uh, you can go to tnfff.org uh, and see the fanzines. Mrs. Boss is the editor on this. I am helping her with with the layout and stuff. Fifty fifty. Yeah, 50-50. And uh, you can find us on all these different social media platforms and, and connections there and the, and, the, and the video channels and the newsletter and the Discord and all that other good stuff. Uh, so check us out there. Cam, Snob, thanks very much for being here, sirs. Thanks for having me. Thank you. It's always good to have a conversation with people. And, and you know, I th- I'm, I'm kind of digging this new format. I think this is going to work. You know, we, do the, we do the first hour that I can just gab. And and the second hour with the guests and the third hour with the call-ins. I think I think we'll keep it for a while. Yeah, too bad you're not back. I know, right? <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for us, folks. Thanks very much for being here. Remember, the government lies to you. The media lies to you. They all hate you. And there are four lights. This has been a presentation of SciFiForMe.com. Copyright 2023 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio. 